For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Talking about this a little later this morning, but we seriously have a health crisis in Ireland in every single aspect. Um, and amongst it, of course, is GPs. Uh, more GPs are retiring and there's fewer coming in. There's a lot coming through the ranks, but they're not necessarily staying around. And those that are, are burnt out. It's a crisis point. Uh, it's a front pager, actually, uh, making the echo this morning with the talk of Cork GPs highlighting a staffing crisis in the sector. Some forced to cancel holiday plans. Some actually turning back from the airport, would you believe it, as they're going on holidays. Some coming back to work early or indeed closing their practices temporarily so they can get some respite and go on a holiday or a break. They can't get cover when they want to go on holidays. So the Echo talks about that this morning, speaks with the Bantry GP, Paul O'Sullivan, who says some of his colleagues have found themselves turning around at the airport after receiving calls informing them that the locum cover for their practice failed to show up. But of course, they have a duty of care to their patients and they would want to look after them anyway. And on that basis, many of them are saying that this is broken and getting worse. The problem is that most GPs have to be contactable on a 24-hour shift basis. So GPs at crisis point is a front pager making the echo today. More on that later on. We have a lot of tragedy and death uh, over the past week. I was telling you about the uh, fatal Fermoy crash yesterday. This is a different one to the Mitchellstown one, or at least on the on the motorway by Mitchellstown. This one is the uh, fatal crash in Fermoy, where a man has now been charged in connection with, uh, that was a two-car collision, right? And one man was killed and two people were seriously injured. So before Mallow District Court yesterday, um, there was uh, a, um, a man by the name of Ulian Lotka, a, a Moldovian national, as they say in the examiner court reports today. He's been in custody since the collision. It happened at 20 past eight Saturday evening in Fromoy, and a Ukrainian man, Ihor Skowski, uh, died in the incident. He was actually a backseat passenger in the BMW that Lotka was driving when they crashed into a silver Citroen. Now, um, people were injured, and the woman in that car, the Citroen, was in her 50s and taken to the CUH with serious but non-life-threatening injuries. So the court report this morning says that um, Lotka has been uh, charged with dangerous driving, causing death, driving while exceeding the legal alcohol limit, and driving without insurance. So a lot to be getting on with there in court. The papers also this morning uh, talk of tragedy overseas, and that includes uh, the uh, two lads who, who died while on their leaving certificate uh, holiday in EOS. It's awfully sad. Tim Kelleher uh, of um, uh, the school, was the principal there of St. Michael's College, said that it's exactly the nightmare that every parent dreads when groups of our children go away. That's why the headline in the Star this morning is Our Worst Nightmare. The parents have been flying out and a lot of the students, and there are many, I think there's like something like 70 or 80 from that one school, but there are hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of Irish students away in the likes of, of EOS on the uh, after leaving certificate holiday. They just want to come home now uh, and many of them just want to leave the island and a lot of families have gone out, parents have gone out. And sadly, the parents of the two dead lads. So it's a headline I'm making the mail this morning. They just want to come home. Hundreds of traumatized leaving thirteens trying to leave the Greek party island after the tragic death of two of their friends. Our hearts are broken is the front pager uh, from the mirror this morning. And they, they just detail 
the lovely lads and uh, their whole lives ahead of them. One was a serious sportsman and the other was a cracking academic and both of them had great lives ahead of them. Hard to ignore that gnawing fear when you send your sons and daughters out into the world. Um, not my words, but the words of Neil Leslie making the star. Although I did touch on that yesterday that, you know, it's, it's one of those really heart-wrenching, worrying times for parents. We've all been through it. Uh, MAGA, EOS, Zakynthos, leaving certificate holidays. Please be safe and, and come back. But you never know. It's just so, so tragic because uh, young people, I suppose, uh, they deserve their freedom. Uh, it's their first time. And there's that feeling of invincibility a lot of the time, isn't there? And then to another uh, story from overseas involving Irish people. And this is the Irish tourist uh, that's been arrested on suspicion of murdering his partner. She was strangled to death in a hotel in the in a Spanish holiday resort in the Costa Dorada near Salou uh, in Barcelona. Near Barcelona, about 100 kilometres south of Barcelona, I think. Uh, they found this woman lying lifeless, dead in the corridor of the hotel. So a hotel worker uh, saw their girlfriend trying to escape the alleged killer at one stage. Um, so this is uh, this this would be femicide, wouldn't it? An Irishman arrested. Um, it's awfully sad. And then you know that story that was breaking yesterday morning. There was a, a body of a man uh, found up uh, in the west of Ireland. Apparently, he'd come down uh, from the north of Ireland. This is the area of Schlieve League in Donegal, uh, and the body that was found just off the coast, at the bottom of the cliffs, uh, was that of a man who had mis- been missing and vanished over a week ago. Um, and at the time it was thought that he had been thrown off the cliff. Now, uh, there's a lot of guard investigation into this one, but it's likely that the case will be upgraded to murder, it seems. The Guardian have added that uh, results of a post-mortem will decide the process taken. But the Mirror this morning say that a female suspect in the case has been admitted to a medical facility in the past week. And another suspect, a man, is also a person of interest in another violent assault. So that's going to be one to, to watch as the as the story behind it unfolds. And if that wasn't enough, a Monster Rugby coach has died in a paragliding accident in South Africa. He was over visiting and watching his son, who was playing for Ireland in the under-20s World Cup. Another tragedy. Greg, Greg Oliver, a 58-year-old former Scotland scrum half. He was actually the elite player development officer with Monster Rugby. Over there with his family, watching and proud of his son, and for him, it ends in tragedy. The Tobridi saga continues to dominate many of the papers, although the papers, you know, they're, they're, they're always looking for a new angle and they seem to find a new angle every day. And some of those new angles involve that management want Ryan Tobridi back on the air, but the majority of the staff don't want him back on the air. So you move from one crisis to the next. They also love to tell us that in spite of the fact that he, he didn't willingly come off air. RT took him off air. So why shouldn't he be paid? Of course he should be paid. Um, but now they're talking about the fact that the shamed presenter still nets money while off the airwaves. Michal Martin has rode in on it, though, interestingly. I know he's been talking a lot, um, certainly to uh, RTE. I think it's probably about a year now um, since I've been trying to get to talk to Michal Martin. And uh, every single time, every single time, it's brazen, actually, in the extreme, I have to tell you. Every single time, there's some reason as to why not. must be over a year now at this stage. You'd never think that he was a, a Cork Southside TD, never mind the tarnished uh, and at one stage the Taoiseach. But obviously, he's got his nose out of joint for some reason. But he's not in favour of salary caps at RTE. Um, I'm telling you this third hand because I have to find out what Michal Martin is saying through RTE radio. Uh, but he's saying that, uh, or, that the salary caps can prove problematic. Um, <laughs> 
It's like that. They, they break down different um, uh, salaries of people, you know, our top public job, our public servants. Uh, the HSE um, CEO makes 420,000 a year. Our top civil servant makes just under 300,000 a year. The card commissioner makes 270 grand a year. A hospital consultant makes on average 252,000 a year. Um, so <laughs> you look at all of those and yet still you have Ryan Tuberty earning more money than all of them. Not put together, but all of them. They figure that uh, his total salary is about uh, 515,000 and Joe Duffy's 351,000 so on and so forth. Michal Martin says uh, it would be problematic to put a cap on the sur- on the uh, on the salaries of the top stars. Mind you, Ronan Mullen was on the air yesterday with me in studio, the independent senator, and he says that there should be a cap uh, on top stars' salaries of €195,000. Others are saying um, that uh, there should be 107000 of a cap. I don't know how we can come up with two different figures like that, but maybe less set and on somewhere in between. But what's very interesting for me is the amount of money and cash that can be made uh, by stars, a lot of them within RTE, uh, in the social media world, particularly on Instagram. And this morning, The Independent breaks down the RTE stars and the cash that can be made online with social media deals and putting up a social media post. You saw that Lottie Ryan got into a lot of trouble with RTE because she filmed this car that she was given, some 60 grand car, in the car park of RTE um, and uh, used um, some uh, RTE imaging in the in the actual Instagram post for which he was paid. But there's a very interesting one then uh, dealing with uh, uh, Darren Garrahy that makes the newspapers this morning where they're saying that, um, where was the amount on this? Now, I don't see it here, but I think that the uh, figure was a star with more than 300,000 followers can earn four and a half thousand euro from one pick post. There's a picture of uh, Doreen Garrahy making the papers uh, this morning where she's sitting in the RTE studio with her headphones. Um, it's, 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 it's probably over the top, actually, to be using a, an RTE studio to be posting an Instagram post for porridge where you can make upwards of four and a half grand. But that's what they're saying in The Independent this morning. And she's got the quick oats and she's got the spoon in it and she's got the Flahavans tub and she's got the Flahavans box and she's got the Flahavans mug and everything else that comes with it. Uh, and there it is. Um, they also talk about the different stars. And of course, this has nothing to do with RT, but I suppose it's using studios or RT as a backdrop. That's where people would take umbrage. But a sponsored Instagram post for the Flahavans porridge was removed from her account yesterday after the Irish Independent asked RTE if the presenter had, posi- had permission to pose with the porridge in the 2FM studio. I mean, in, more, in some ways it's bizarre, but in other ways clearly unacceptable. But when you break down all of the different brands that they're advertising, the likes of uh, Doreen Garrahy or Karen Mullen or, or Baz or Lottie Ryan or... Donico Callahan, um, you've got Tesco, Samsung, BSB, Brennan's Bread, Lidl, Land Rover, Sky, uh, Google, Yoplait, Skoda, TK Maxx, uh, Flahavans, obviously, um, Renault, Cadbury's, Gordon's Gin and Centra. And that's just a selection uh, from a few of the different stars. But the one thing is, for sure, there's big money to be made if you're an influencer and you have a lot of followers on Instagram and you run into hundreds of thousands. If you can make three and a half or four and a half grand for one sponsored picture. Can you imagine that? The amount of money that could be made on an annual basis. Uh, look at the amount of money uh, that the hotels make any time uh, a big star comes to play uh, the island of Ireland. And um, the tabloids had it yesterday. 
the examiner have it this morning the bad blood between the Swifties these are Taylor Swift fans the Swifties and the hotels um, the minute the two dates in June of next year were announced all of a sudden the hotels started scrambling and cancelling bookings uh, rampant price gouging yet again but yet no law can be passed apparently no law could would be anti-competitive or something like that can be put can put manners on what hotels do when a big gig comes along. Um, so what really happens is that people book the hotels, right, and they book them as quickly as possible. But then they get an email saying there was a double booking issue. But some hotels cancel everybody's bookings, and then they just re-advertise again at double or treble the price. I just don't get it. There are a lot of stories relating to weight on a daily basis. We can't say the fat word anymore because people get very upset with it. So we use the term obesity instead. And researchers now at UCC and UCG say the only way you're going to clear up the confusion uh, about uh, weight or obesity is to rename obesity as a chronic disease. A lot of division on that as to whether obesity or weight gain or being fat is a chronic disease or whether it is a lifestyle. Your thoughts on that are welcome. But it's interesting, some people just can't leave things alone. You know the harp on the passport? I like it. I love the harp as being one of our emblems. I love the tricolour. But there's talk now at the moment that they're going to get rid of the harp, the Department of Foreign Affairs, changing the harp to a different design. Why? Well, to, to highlight our diverse natural environment. Mother of God, could they not have come up with a different way of doing that and just leave the bloody harp on the passport alone? But they want to put an animal on the front of it instead. The curlew, the red squirrel, the bumblebee, the Irish hare or the barn owl. I mean, like, sure, but do that somewhere else. Like, Give that to revenue or give the hare to the Department of Foreign Affairs as their emblem or put it on HSE lettering or do something like that but leave the feckin' harp alone. Do you agree? Like, yeah, like, I mean, imagine turning up to an airport in the middle of nowhere and then saying, where are you from? And then you just... Hair you know, Island. Yeah, here's, here's me owl. You know what I mean? Like, it just... What are you, from TripAdvisor, isn't it's it? It's people <laughs> with too much time on their hands it's, sitting it's, around over... I don't know. Do you know what this is? This falls Coffee into the thinking. same. What will we do this week? This this might upset some people, but this falls into the same category of people that want to change. Uh, you know, like Victoria Place back to the original Irish, or want to change. You know, like streets that have a kind of a, a, an Englishy name in, in, or change the English marks. It's just completely. I change Wellesley Terrace. I change Wellington Road. Would you? I would change Victoria Road. Oh, not yeah, at all. I change Anglesey Street. Really? Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah, I would. Uh, but you're like, is that not well, as much? I, mean, as, I did this in the year years back. But you have, but you know, have you have you not got to accept the fact that that's part of Cork's history? When you yeah, look at that, no, no, not anymore. I think we, we we should have got rid of those years ago. When they when they made oh. the changes on the south side around Ballyfehan, putting Kent Road and Pierce Road and stuff like that. But sure, how many, that was a good time. How many? You can't call everything Kent, Pierce, Collins, it, 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 you know. It, do, it doesn't have to be uh, famous freedom fighters or those who died for Ireland. It could be anything yeah. uh, rather than... I um, think, God, I actually think, I think it gives a real interesting flavour. In the same the way that we have the Huguenot Quarter and in the same way that we have... No issue with know, the Huguenot Quarter, but, but I do have a problem with Victoria Victoria. But sure the Huguenots came in as well. They like, did, yeah, but they... they well, they, I suppose they didn't, you know, there wasn't 800 years of... There wasn't 800 years <laughs> of, of, of... But I just think it's... Pain, it's, it's suffering, it's, torture, it's, 
Home, to death, see. war, death, immigration, famine. Yeah, no. but just I don't know. I just it's it's. I think you can't deny the past. You know what I mean? You have to kind of accept the past, and it gives a flavor of what happened in yeah. different quarters that have different senses of history to them. Oh, I know. It just, I think, it just sticks in my craw. It, it always has. Yeah. Just my craw, I should say. It's just one of those things. I would, yeah, I would jump. I some of them, I, some of them, I would change. I really would. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I certainly would change anything to do with uh, with with Queen Victoria. Yeah, but it, it, that it, like or Wellesley. But you see, it's kind of isn't it not named after the time in which that that like Queen Victoria was, you know, part of. Yeah, no, you, you yeah. know, she was the head of the thing when it all happened. Like there is a certain history with that. I don't know. I just think why can't why can't both coexist? Why can't you have a, a Victoria Quarter in which you have murals or you know information about freedom fighters or because they're all part of our it's all part of Cork's history yeah. you know what I mean yeah, As, no, no I, I, and listen it's it's all about debate and if people want to jump in on the conversation mm. absolutely change Albert Road as well if I was at it actually would you? yeah the husband of Victoria would you I, would well, the one thing I would do with Albert Road is I would have something that would explain the, the railway station there because you'd never have known there was a railway station there if you look at it now the, 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 so the tram so. station you mean yeah the old tram that used to go down towards passage that, yeah. that, 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 that the terminus was yeah it, really, it was two things going on over there house. one was the second terminus and the other one was the tram station where all the trams went at night that's why you have the huge big arches there oh, so right. the trams could go through but you see like if you were coming to Cork or if you were born in Cork and you didn't have somebody like you'd never know any of that history do you know what I mean that for me is far more important than renaming a street like that in terms of trying to guard our history and get a sense of people when they come to Cork that like this is actually has its own history. It has a fascinating history. It's been a city for that long. How do we get on to that? Oh, yeah, replacing the harp on the passport. The harp the okay, passport, yeah. get texting. More on important that, things to do, Neil. All right, <laughs> text 0868 104 106. You have your thoughts on the two other stories just ahead of the break and calls after that. Uh, Owen English, the go to man when it comes to the event centre, uh, says that uh, there's been 1.5 million euro now spent on the event centre without a brick being laid. And that's just actually. A lot of that is just accountancy and legal fees. PwC have got four hundred and eighty-three grand, and RDJ have been paid five hundred and fourteen thousand. So over a million between the two of them, without a brick being laid. And I'm sure they worked for every single penny of it. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that uh, the sod was turned back in February two thousand and sixteen, and they are still trying to put the final touches to the final design. Supposedly almost finished, uh, but um, the numbers and figures for the in convention centre. Keep the event centre, keep going up. It's a 6,000 capacity venue. And it has now soared to 85 million, of which the state, you and I, will divvy up 57 million. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Get involved in the conversations. Text 086-8104-106. Straight to the phone lines, we go to Dr. Fiona Kelly. An interesting tale to tell. Fiona, good morning. Hello, Neil. How are you? Mad keen to talk to you. More to the point now, because the Echo run a story this morning with um, you're down west along in Beira. There's a GP not far from you called Paul O'Sullivan, whom I'm sure you know. Um, I do talking on your behalf and colleagues like himself with regards to burnout. Um, uh, and I was, I was keen to get your story because part of his involves that it, burnout, GPs are retiring, nobody's moving into the practice um, and that many are closing, that people are finding it harder and harder to get a doctor to take them on their list. And in some stages, even when doctors are trying to go on holidays, they have to turn around at the airport. Tell us your own story. 
Okay, so I'm a GP um, down in the Barra Peninsula. Um, I'm working here since 2009, and I'm actually from here. So I did my training in UCC and then my my um, GP training after that in Cork, and then I returned straight afterwards. Um, as you know, um, Barra, we're two hours from the nearest acute um, surgical obstetrical units and trauma units in Cork, and one hour from Bantry, which serves medical emergencies and down here we're very isolated we also serve um, two offshore islands Bear Island which is accessed by uh, ferry and um, Dursey Island which is accessed by cable car and I suppose I've over a thousand medical car patients on my list and I've a few other thousand private patients my god on my and a few other thousand that would be like four thousand perhaps is it yeah patients yeah, like it's very, very busy, like because I'm the company doctor for most of the fish factories located here, and also I'm responsible for looking after the majority of in, of injured and sick international fishermen who land on a daily basis that as is well. Insane! How many GPs yeah. in your practice? So it's just me at the moment. What? Yeah, um, yeah. So, and there's also another GP in in the town as well. So could it be um, four? Could it be four thousand plus? It, it it could be like because you know we a lot of people have moved to the area since since COVID as well. You know, um, I suppose COVID put their lives, you know, um, yeah. highlighted, you know, that they needed a change in their lives. So, you know, loads and loads of and people have actually moved to the area. And you said in your email that you, you still take new patients onto your list. I do, because basically we are so far from a hospital that I feel I have a moral obligation to look after these patients. Um, because otherwise, where are they going to go, you know? But what about your um, own health, though? You've got to be completely and utterly frazzled. I know. I, I am tired, but look, Neil, I absolutely love, love my job. I absolutely love it. I'm passionate about it. I'm from the area. I love the area, you know. But basically, um, yeah, I also look after the community hospital here as well. And um, we've got um, patients who suffer from dementia. And we also have um, two palliative care beds here as well, where people, you know, as you know, Miramount Hospice is about two hours away from us. So, you know, there's a lot of local people who really don't want to, you know, okay. go all the way to Cork to, you know, okay. to spend their last days. So okay. we but keep if, them comfortable in the local hospital. If there are so many patients on your list, why aren't there more GPs? That's it. So basically, it is just so, so, so hard to recruit doctors to local areas. Like, Neil... Um, for example, I um, I had my first baby in 2012 and I was able to take five weeks maternity leave um, because I advertised nationally. I advertised, I even rang all the GP schemes to see if there'd be any newly qualified GPs who'd be willing to come down to cover maternity leave. There weren't. I didn't get one answer to my ad. So you took five my- weeks for baby Jack, you took four yeah. and a half weeks for baby Lizzie and you yeah. worked through, unfortunately, Lizzie was unwell. You worked through her battle with leukemia as well. I did, and because you couldn't get uh, cover. because I could not get a locum, and it wasn't for the want of trying. I I literally could not get a locum, um, and I suppose you know there are many reasons why um, GPs or doctors don't want to come to rural areas. Um, 
And I suppose I'll, I'll explain that in, in a minute. But I suppose I was in Italy. I had a tough year. Um, you know, my dad died very unexpectedly in January. Um, I Sorry had surgery myself. Mom was in hospital. Um, my, my son, Jack, sustained an injury requiring surgery. So I had this holiday booked to Italy. I booked it last year and I was so looking forward to it. Now, I was in prime time about um, a year and a half ago and um, I was trying to highlight the lack of of out-of-hours cover that time. And this um, retired GP uh, actually heard me and contacted me. And she said once she had retired, she was actually, she was offering me a week or two weeks or three weeks before her insurance ran out. So I As in her insurance would run out because she was retiring at a particular age. Retiring. And be, yeah, okay. Exactly, yeah. 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 And she'd already done her time at this stage anyway, you know. And um, so basically she covered from when my dad passed away. So... I contacted her anyway a few months ago and she she agreed to cover my 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 um my holiday and I was so so grateful. But then she realized that um her cover she'd be covered for all the days bar the last day of my holiday. So I was on holidays up until last Friday evening and her insurance ran out at midnight on Thursday evening. And we needed her for one more day. And she contacted her insurance company, her medical indemnity company, and no way would they insure her, Neil, for one day. They wanted her to renew for a full year, which would have cost around €6,000. Oh, God's sake. Yeah. So oh, for God's I then went on my frantic search to cover or to look for cover for one day. I was over, like, I, I knew I'd be away. I was, fl- I, my flight was caught to Pisa. There's only, I, I thought about coming back, but you can't fly back from Pisa. It's only Tuesday and Saturday yeah. are the flights. Yeah. So I directly contacted three other GPs to cover, but it was basically, you know, they're not renewing their insurance, their registration. Um, and this seems to be the norm, Neil. Older GPs are retiring and nobody is there to take their place. Then we contacted two locum companies. Explain to people what is a locum. Yeah, so a locum is basically a stand-in doctor. So it's somebody that you can hire to do short-term work. So, you know, to cover, you know, a few days, annual leave, sick leave. So it's somebody who's not permanent, but they opt to work on a locum basis. So, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like the gig economy for doctors, like. Yeah, Yeah. and there are, there are, um, locum companies there who have these doctors on their list so yeah. we contacted two of them and basically there was nobody available we also put an advertisement on a, a, a gp forum as well and i made several word of mouth inquiries but absolutely all my efforts were unsuccessful was all of this happening when you were in italy or before you had traveled before and then as well during okay and while i was in italy like the I had to say, look, if I don't get a locum, like my practice manager was making phone calls and phone calls and phone calls all the time I was away. And I was texting her every day, any updates, and it was always no, no, no. So then um, the difficult decision then, uh, Neil, was I had to close the practice because I could not find a locum on Friday. I had no option. 
you know, I was in Italy, I couldn't get home. And I tell you, like, this decision was not taken lightly. I did everything in my power to, to, to secure a doctor, but they're just not there. They are not there. And it was very upsetting. And this was hanging over me all during the, the holiday, to be honest, because I, I knew that if I wouldn't get somebody, you know, I was worried about what might happen. Um, you know, anyway, basically within half of an hour of the practice when it should have been opened. So at 10 o'clock in the morning, mm. I received an email from the HSE primary care unit asking me to explain my decision to close. Was that like a rap right. on the knuckles kind of a thing? Oh, my God, Neil. I was so upset, right? I was actually sitting down in the harbour in Manarola, right, with mm. the, which is down the Cinque Terre. And basically, like, it should have been idyllic. And here I was in floods of tears. Mm. Yeah. Bad and enough it, that you had to make the decision to close <laughs> for the day. Without yeah. the, they were quick to pick up on it, weren't they? Not quick they with the help. And the other but, thing, Neil, yeah. is, you know, there was nothing about my 14.5 years of service. You know, I worked right throughout. I took minimal maternity leave for my three children. I worked throughout my daughter's battle with leukemia, up and down to Dublin, up and down to Cork when she'd have her... Her, um, her high temperatures and, you know, as you know, or it's, uh, a lot of people who, who are going through chemotherapy know yeah. that when somebody, um, you know, who's immunocompromised develops the temperatures, they have to go to hospital straight away yeah. because they're sitting up for sepsis. Yeah. So up to car. We'd off, I've often, I often came down from Dublin after Lizzie, with Lizzie after she had um, received her chemotherapy. We, we'd arrive down 9, 10 o'clock at night. And I was talking to you before there a few weeks ago, um, Neil, you know, about the Make-A-Wish thing. Yes, I remember. Um, yeah, the Make-A-Wish yeah. trip. And I was telling you that Lizzie was so tuned in to checking her temperature. And sometimes we come down from Dublin and she take check her temperature, 19, 11 o'clock at night, and she temperature 38 and she'd call me. Mommy, yeah, it's no, she was time. a superstar. I remember that chat. Yeah. Yeah. Really, everybody fell in love with Lizzie again. after that call. So, yeah. so, then, so do you tell I, them all of this when they said to you, um, why did you close your practice for the day? Yeah. yeah. So I did. I yeah. told them all this. And then what really frustrated me, Neil, was that one of the HSE staff who was CC'd in the email sent me back an automated reply to say that she was out of the office on annual leave until until July the 10th. Charming. Great for you, says you. Yeah, great yeah. for you. Yeah. You yeah. know, and nothing about the service. And the thing is, like, I really think I have served the HSE well. I see, Neil, on a typical day, I'd have anything between 70 and 100 patients in my diary. And that includes face-to-face consultations, phone consultations, emails and and text consults. It doesn't include prescriptions now. Prescriptions are a different a different story and looking at results. And you know what? The European Union of General Practitioners and the British Medical Association has has recommended a safe level of patient contact per day of not more than twenty five. Uh, wouldn't that be can... wouldn't that be joyous if there was enough GPs yeah. around and twenty five yeah. patients per day, not the four times that you deal with, um, yeah. and the lo- and the long hours and no lunch break and probably late yeah. into the evening and on call twenty four seven. But at the same time, then we are of course um, turning out for want of a better term a lot of doctors but where, where are they going are they going to urban areas we also know that they're going overseas quite quickly we, we do and like I suppose you know 
the the HSE has announced this um, non-EU um, rural doctor GP scheme, which is absolutely brilliant. And how, what it, it, it does is, so non-EU doctors apply to come to Ireland, right? And then they are sent to areas of need and they can then, they're, with, they're tied in with a GP practice for two years. And at the end of that two years, they get their, um, quali- they get their specialist training and they become a member of the Irish College of General Practitioners. So now the HSE are making loads of noise about this. But I have personal experience of this scheme. And it is taking a year at the moment to actually process an application. So somebody wants to come from outside of the EU to practice here, they have to go through a registration. They do. Yeah. So they have, to, they have to be registered. They have to be vetted, which is absolutely perfect. Then they have to get a visa. Now, the med- an atypical visa. Now, the Medical Council um, basically would be, and I hate to say it, but they are the main obstacle at the moment in this process. Um, so... I have an email here in front of me, and I'll just read a few little bits out of it now. And this was sent to me by one of these non-EU doctors. Now, it is currently taking approximately seven months to commence assessment, assessment once documents are received. Please note that this is an estimated time frame to begin assessment, not to complete it. So after that, then, you know, there's a lot of more red tape with the atypical visas and all this. That could be now, a year, perhaps? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a whole year. So now, this would be a non-EU doctor who wants to come here and work in a rural area. Yeah, yeah, because they want to get their, they want to get their specialist training and the way they'll get it is to be put in an area of need. But, you know, the, so the, the, I'm, I'm sorry, I like to say, you know, and I have great respect for the Medical Council, but, you know, just the email, it, it, there's five places mentioned in the short email where they say not to contact them. So please note that individual queries regarding wait times will not be answered. Please note that we are unable to confirm when individual documents have been received. You are respectfully requested in the interim to defer from contacting the Medical Council. Now, if somebody wants to move their family halfway across the world, they have to know, you know, they have to have a time frame of when they, they come for kids starting school, you know, to secure accommodation. And like, if this is taking a year, you have a doctor who's willing to come to a rural area and they want to, to relocate from wherever they are, South Africa, they need wherever. To plan. They need planning. They, yeah. they do. And where are they going to go? They're not going to be waiting for a year to be coming to Ireland to be dealing with They're all this. They're gone elsewhere. They're gone elsewhere. They're going but, to go but, to New Zealand where it takes only a few weeks. They're going to go to Canada. What? You mean it takes New Zealand weeks to process something that takes Ireland a year? Yeah, several weeks, yeah, it does. And it takes a year here. And, you know, this needs to change, you know. And this is a big obstacle. So the HSE, what needs to be done there, Neil, really is that they have to cut the red tape and they need to make the application process easier. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Why, why, are, why are people who are qualifying as doctors in Ireland uh, leaving the country? Because the conditions here are absolutely, they're, they're bad for, for, for doctors. Like, um, we, GPs are, um, we're self-employed, but we're independent contractors to the HSE. And the contract 
dates back to the early 70s. And that contract states that we have a 24-7, 365-day commitment to our patients. So basically, if we can't find a locum, we have to do this ourselves. Yeah, but, who, so but how, doctors, would, how would a 24-hour thing work? Uh, like, like a patient can't ring a doctor at three in the morning and see the doctor oh at yes. three in the Oh, yes, they can. Like, I, I'm expected here in Castletown Bear to work from 8 a.m. on a Monday until 6 p.m. on a Wednesday because our South Dock service here in Castletown Bear doesn't kick in until a Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. So you could be at home and, and who, a, yeah, a patient but would you're come. on call. And you don't sleep. I never sleep when I'm on call because I'm waiting for the phone to ring. From a and patient then, in need? Yeah. Yeah. From a patient, yeah. So how it works is... But they, you know, they, I don't know any GP's practices in Cork where they would even answer no, the phone at three o'clock in the morning. There are rural areas where it, it does happen. I think it happens up in one area in Donegal as well. I, I might be mistaken now. But sure, that's, yeah, that's one might... reason why no one would want to open no. a practice in rural Ireland. No, definitely not. And the other thing as well, like... You know, we need to have protected time off. You know, the HSE has to accept some responsibility for help, helping to secure locum cover for sick leave, annual leave, and maternity leave. But will, you know? will there be will there be some sort of um, censure of you now for closing for the day? Will Will you get grief over that? I'm not sure. I'm watching my emails every day. But what could I have done? You know, like if I got sick tomorrow, what can I do? You know, and there's so, nothing so, I can do. So stories like yours then are leading to obviously a crisis point, as the Echo correctly points out in its headline, but also yeah. probably burnout amongst GPs. Are they are they retiring earlier? Oh, they're retiring earlier. Like at the moment now, Neil, um, some over 500 GPs are nearing retirement. And I'll give you an example now. In February 22, there were 26 GP practices left vacant around the country. And of these, 13 posts were left un filled for more than a year and more of half more than half of these vacancies were in towns and villages in rural Ireland. In rural Ireland. So in, in, in rural Ireland or even in suburbia, would people with a young family are starting out in life or moving to an area, a housing estate or to a new village or town, would they struggle to get onto a doctor's list? Oh, absolutely. Like GPs, we're actually burnt out. You know, people actually think, you know, that GPs earn a lot of money and stuff. Uh, but, you know, it's the, 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 the mental stress, the over, like the amount of patients who, you know, require our services. And now, you know, it's been announced this morning, more more free GP care for the under, the under sevens. I, I think that's an absolutely brilliant idea. But, you know, the manpower needs to be there. At the moment, we're completely overwhelmed. But that overwhelming that you describe, is it, is it leading to mistakes being made, I wonder? It probably is, you know. Sometimes I go home there and I'd, I'd, I'd be questioning myself inside in bed and I'd be like, oh, you know, did I, did I do that prescription now right today or did I send that, you know? God, oh my, um, oh my God. And it's not just me, Neil. You know, I got an email actually um, a few days ago from a, a colleague of mine who is also a GP in a fairly rural area. And I'm just going to read out just the first, um, just the first few lines of her email. So this is not just me. I myself am a single-handed GP. I was in a serious road traffic accident in 2020. I discharged myself from hospital against medical advice in an attempt to secure a locum for my practice. Despite making at least 60 phone calls whilst concussed 
and with a fractured spine, I was unsuccessful in securing cover. I reached out to the HSE who were unable to assist me. I was readmitted to hospital and had no choice but to continue to operate my surgery remotely from hospital during this time. Oh, God, you couldn't make it up. She couldn't. And I no. say, I'd say that your holiday in Italy was a bit of a write-off, was it? You didn't oh, come back was, rested or recuperated. No, I'm more stressed now than I ever was, to be oh, honest. And I completely, normally I come back from holiday and I'm really well rested because Friday was hanging over me the whole time. And then kind of what I was expecting happened. And then it just put, I spent all Friday crying in Italy and half day Saturday as well. And then it was time to come home. And will you, will you pick up the stethoscope and just continue and just get on with the job? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm here in the office now. Uh, yeah, I started this morning at, at eight o'clock. I normally go to the community hospital before I start work. And then I also go um, eight, nine o'clock in the, the evening when I finish. Mm. Um, I love my job, Neil, yeah. but I just need to put it out there that we need support. And rural Ireland, not even rural Ireland, but rural Ireland, first of all, you know, it's going to face such a manpower crisis. And and this, like, I, I hope I've explained the situation well, like, because, you know, just GPs, no wonder GPs are closing their list to, to new patients. And urban GPs, you know, they have waiting lists of several, several weeks. And basically, we're all burnt out, mm, okay. you know? I know. Well, you listen, you have painted that picture very vividly. And thank you so much for highlighting it. Love to get the thoughts of people listening. Text 0868104106. I'll let you get back to the cold face, Doc. Thank you so much for taking the call. <laughs> thank you, Neil. Bye-bye. All the best for now. Dr. Fiona Kelly down Castletown Bearway. Text 0868104106. That does not paint a healthy picture. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Amy, good morning. My apologies for keeping you waiting, but I wanted to give Dr. Fiona an opportunity to tell her story. So thanks for holding. You You were in the UK at the weekend. Go ahead. Yeah, um, so I ended up having to be taken into hospital there. Um, now, I will say, like, in terms of waiting for an ambulance there, they're fairly on par with uh, with Ireland. I, I got told that I'd be waiting over an hour for an ambulance. I was on my, my knees um, in the street, doubled over in severe crippling pain. Um, so we ended up calling a taxi. Um, now, to be fair, so the taxi driver, he stuck on his hazards at every single red light that he came to and just zoomed me to the hospital. All right. That's interesting. Um, yeah, fair play. So the um, went in, was seen more or less straight away. Um, the the when I was walking in, there was security outside and I asked, um, where is the uh, accident and emergency department? And they pointed and he said, uh, it's, it's very busy. Um, you'll be in for uh, a wait, a long wait. And I was there going, oh my God, you know, and again, I was like, really speak with how much pain I was in. Um, went in and it looked almost empty compared to the way we would see our A&E department. I was like, is, is there another waiting room or something? Um, yeah, so, I wonder what the long wait was. Yeah, so they, like, I was seen uh, by the triage nurse within half an hour, um, had blood taken within the hour. They had, um, they constantly had a nurse on rotation um, in the uh, emergency department, just going around, checking everyone's um, vitals, blood pressure, uh, temperature and 
I was seen um, again quite quickly, had um, an ECG done quite quickly. It was about 11 o'clock, half 11 at night. No, when you say quickly, was it a matter of, were you hanging around for hours? If that was a CUH vision, it could have been 20 hours, 30 hours, 40 hours. Yeah, I was seen, bloods taken, everything else, and admitted up to a ward um, within eight hours. Okay, okay. Okay. Um, so had had been given a bed, um, and then within two hours of being up in the ward, the the doctor was around to me. Um, they they advised me, so um, I I have health insurance, and they wanted to do scans and stuff on me in the hospital. So I said, like, look, I need to get pre approval from my my health insurer first. Um, so I called the overseas department. Um, who were supposed to contact the hospital and get a report. Now, unfortunately, reports can't be sent um, outside business hours Monday to Friday because their clerical department is closed. Um, and that goes, that's the same for Ireland because I tried to get a report sent from Ireland to the UK. of a But OK, but let, let's not deal with that in too much detail, apart from the fact that were you covered? Um, so they, they couldn't confirm um, until until Monday. Yeah. I contacted my health insurer and they were like, oh, well, there's nothing we can do unless we get that report. I was like, so if I'm dying and need surgery, you, you can't confirm cover until Monday open, like business hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, I was discharged then against medical advice um, because I, I had to come back to Ireland. Oh, but just ahead I, of that, you had had previous visits to was it CUH on a number of occasions with the same severe stomach pains, right? Um, yeah, so uh, twice in the past um, six weeks, I had to be rushed to um, hospital uh, okay. by ambulance. So the first time I was brought to hospital by ambulance, uh, I was told there'd be no ambulance available for about uh, an hour, an hour and a half. Um, so we started driving and we an ambulance came free while we were on route. So we met them at the side of the road and I was moved from the, the car to the ambulance. Um, got to hospital, was waiting there for several hours before anybody even came to, to speak with me. Um, they took bloods and they, about eight hours after they'd taken my bloods, they came back and they were like, we need to move you to an isolation room that my blood work came back, that my immune system was basically non-existent. They needed to isolate me away from everybody. And it turns out it, it actually wasn't my blood. It was somebody else's blood and they didn't know who it belonged to. Where? In CUH? Uh, in, in CUH, yeah. They, so they mixed they, up your blood? They, yeah, they, Someone... they repeated my blood test after they put me into isolation and realized, hang on, they're actually not her blood. They're so the, whatever's going on there, they confuse your blood results with somebody else's? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you were telling you were telling oh my god you were telling them in, in you've been in and out of the CUH in uh, the UK at the weekend and it says they were shocked that you hadn't been diagnosed with gallstones um, when they were discharging you they gave you your medicine they don't give you a prescription like Irish hospitals they give you the full box of tablets that you need they couldn't believe yeah. the care or lack of it that you received at the CUH on the two occasions that you were brought there. Um, and you're, yeah, over, so you're like, way over between somewhere between Fermoy and Lismore. Okay, and that's why you had ambulance issues. Did they diagnose gallstones there? So, no, because my private health insurer wouldn't confirm my cover. Um, I obviously wasn't going to let them, them do the okay. procedure over there and okay. my having to pay several thousands. Um, so they discharged me and they advised me to um, present to ED the minute I got back to Ireland. And did you do that? I did, and CUH said to me, look, we're telling everybody that you're, you're going to be waiting at least 20 hours before a doctor will even be available to see you. 
It says so here you I, were told to present to the hospital as soon as you got back. You did. You went to the CUH, got a taxi um, from Lismore. No, no, I, um, I I drove up to the, the emergency department when I got back to Ireland. Okay. okay. Um, presented there and then they were like, oh yeah, it'll be over 20 hours. Uh, if any other emergency comes in, obviously that 20 hours will be pushed back. Um, but and you were bent over screaming in pain? Yeah. Not, not, not in Ireland. Um, I, I'd been given pain medication by the the UK hospital to kind of um, do me till I got seen here. But it was like a, I, I'm also seeing a private consultant in relation to this. So they were like, "Oh well, you have an appointment in a couple of weeks with private consultants." So. Um, you can just wait till you see the, the consultant. All right. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Morning all, a little bit of housekeeping for you. It's day two of our giveaways in association with the Carrigaline Court Hotel. They have Sally's Tea Room at the Four Star Hotel in Carrigaline, And we have afternoon tea for four people to give away every day this week with Prosecco, if you choose to go for it. Uh, and indeed, on Friday's programme, we will be giving away afternoon tea for 22 people because that's the max capacity of Sally's Tea Room and you get the whole thing. They also do private hire. But Friday's prize also involves an overnight bed and breakfast stay for two people, including dinner of an evening and also the afternoon tea. So we've been asking people to tell us what three famous people, dead or alive, would you invite to your afternoon tea? Three fam- famous people. We had a good laugh for the yesterday. Great story. So what three people would you invite to your afternoon tea? Famous people, ideally. Uh, text 0868104106. And I will come back to that a little later on this morning. Uh, meanwhile, um, we did a poll yesterday with regards to the RTE saga. As I was saying, uh, the, particularly the newspapers tend to find a different angle to keep this story going. And I was wondering if people were sick to death of the entire RTE saga yesterday. Uh, 55% of those of you uh, that, um, you know, answered our poll question uh, on Twitter, 55% said, no, I'm not sick of it. Keep it going. Whereas 45% said it was time to move on. So get dangerously close there. 55 plays 45. Um, clearly, uh, some people feel they've just had enough of it, while others feel uh, that we need to discuss it even more and that the whole thing needs to be brought completely out and all of the linen and everything, um, the dirty underwear, I suppose, should be washed in public. Mind you, you're obsessed with Tuberty. We're sick of it. Would you ever put a cap on it? Uh, somebody else says, stop calling them superstars. They're top financial swindlers, says Tony and Caracoole. They're not, none of the others. None of the no one's put a foot wrong. Where you could call them swindlers. I was talking this morning about the vast amounts of money you could make to you know put up an Instagram. I take I take I'm constantly taking Instagram photographs here in studio, uh, particularly if somebody sends me something in a new business startup. You know I love publishing and pushing them and I encourage people with with new businesses. I seem to attract an awful lot of people who are involved in food or food prep or restaurants or delis or startups. Um, and I love, I love sharing their, their new stories on air, on air and indeed on Instagram. But I ain't charging three and a half or four and a half grand for it. I'm charging nothing and nor will I ever. Uh, but anyway, um, more text on this. Leave, leave Ryan Tuberdeal alone. Uh, just enjoy your lives. Uh, I know we're all sick to death about RTE payments at the moment, but I'll tell you a good one. I actually pay my television license by direct debit, says Frank. 
<laughs> You're one of a dwindling amount, I think, going forward. I say, I don't really understand it. Um, what kind of a fool would would go out and buy a bag of porridge after seeing Doreen Garrahy with a bag of it in front of her in a studio? It's pathetic. Well, people do. That's the type. That's advertising. You know, it comes in all sorts of different shapes, and a lot of it has moved to the social media world. With regards to, and and some might say, listen, if you've got 300,000 followers and companies want to give you a motor car and mothers want to give you three and a half grand for posting a box of uh, instant porridge, you'd be a fool not to take it. God, you're a right shinner. You love keeping the shinners on your side, says Jim and Wilton. This is to do with me saying I would change the street names like Victoria Road or Victoria Cross or Albert Key or Charlemagne Terrace or Wellesley Terrace, I would. Um, Neil, we have the English market in the cent- in the city of our city, in the centre of our city, full of tourism. It should be the Cork City Market. Maybe that would work better. But then again, it just doesn't sound as good, so maybe not. Um, changing street names is interfering with history. It sounds ridiculous to me. Imagine if this was done across the world to only reflect local names. It makes no sense. In fact, Neil is an Anglican version of Nile. Maybe it's time to change your name from Neil to Nile. Okay, how would I answer that? I will take that under advisement. I'll take it under advisement. I'll go home and check with the powers that be. There's enough people call me Nile as it is. Others call me a langer. I can imagine the upcoming cost of changing the harp on the passport. Probably a similar scandalous amount like the air code, says Frack in Cove. I love the air code. I think it is the handiest thing in the world, particularly if you need somebody uh, to, you know, give someone your, your, your address. They're trying to get to you, like you might have somebody doing a job in the house. Just air code, and they're there in a second. The event centre will never be built, let's face it. They'd be better off roofing Parky Cueve. Put in a sliding roof. It is a grand location. There'd be no bottlenecks down there. And on GPs, or the lack of them, I think if we adapted the Scottish rule that, that if the state pays towards your fees, then you have to stay and work for a few years to work off the fee grant. Uh, I think that's a good idea. Uh, I don't know what GPs who would just recently have come out of college would feel about that as they head to Australia or New Zealand or Canada. The doctor said she goes without sleep in case her phone rings. I'm sure all patients would support doctors getting cover as someone wanting a doctor in the middle of the night would not want to be treated by a doctor who has had not had adequate sleep. Your story with Dr Fiona is the worst stories I've heard on your show. That poor woman, the HSC and their bloody middle management. And oh my God, that Donnelly. He's a disgrace to his profession. Um, another one here. Could we get Roderick O'Gorman to send a tweet globally on behalf of the GPs to tell them that our doors are open for business? In the meantime, the pharmacists and senior nursing staff could have helped Fiona or had her back. Another one says she's a great woman. There should be more doctors like her. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Yes, indeed, lads. You couldn't make this up. So we're talking about the issue regarding GPs, particularly in rural Ireland, and people can't get on doctors' lists, and of course, all sorts of waiting lists for all sorts of medical intervention that's needed in this country. And we have Stephen Donnelly saying that from next month, children aged six and seven will be able to avail of free GP visit cards. Uh, I assume he's told the GP that. Uh, free GP care will be provided to an additional half a million people under new plans 
uh, being brought to Cabinet. Um, so that's adding more fuel to the fire and you wonder how people will cope. Are you rag, my friend? I'm to rag. Tarishtok, Tarishtok. Yesterday we were talking about Noonan's Road. I had uh, Rimgita on the air living in one of the flats there with her partner and her three-year-and-a-half-year-old daughter. It sounded horrific to me. It was the story where the tenants in the Echo were saying they felt abandoned uh, by City Council to whom they pay their rent and the conditions that they're living in are an absolute scandal. Now, um, so much so, uh, the Seamus took some time out yesterday to go and visit the residents and they were very welcome to see him uh, yesterday when we headed to Nonan's Road. He joins me by phone, um, by, by mic, um, different studio. Uh, just before I play the audio, morning to you, um, I did listen to it, uh, but you visited, right? Yeah. Um, rats, infest- rat infestation, asbestos, um, drug litter, needles, um, no play area for the kids because of the rats. These are just my, my notes. A lot of sick people, a lot of kids and adults with asthma, chest infection, people whose children are on the autism spectrum, others who have fibromyalgia, others who have COPD, mold, mildew. Um, it looks as if some of the actual flats and apartment blocks are collapsing. The balconies are clearly a real danger. So much so with drafts and windows, people are stuffing them with newspapers. Uh, rats are coming up through sewage pipes and water pipes um, and it looks as if the steel and the concrete is rotting. Am I missing anything there? Um, no, I think you're sorry, I'll lower the mic um, I, it's look, Neil I was in shock when I got up there yesterday. You're taking your life in your hands actually to even walk into the complex you have to look over your head to make sure that something doesn't fall down on top of you. One of the tenants who was out bringing in his washing, a big rock the size of an apple, fell off the roof and almost hit him while he was bringing in it's his literally, washing. It's literally crumbling. It's yeah. literally crumbling. What they, There's a brilliant community there, brilliant community spirit. They're all happy, but the conditions they're living in are Dickensian. Yeah. Why are you so upset? Because you, you visited some of the apartments, I think. Neil, I, there was one particular lady. No, they're all in, in very bad condition. Um, there is one lady in particular, um, Janice. Um, she's got a young daughter, Jasmine, who is autistic, nonverbal. Mm. Uh, she also has another daughter, um, but she has to put her daughter in a pram, which is her comfort, to drag her up three flights of stairs. Mm. There's a big crack on the side of her wall. Her parents have literally papered over the cracks. She is constantly washing and clearing the walls because of the dirty black mould that is in every room. Mm. Go into the bedroom where Janice and Jasmine sleep. The next storm, that window is going to come out. Or if Jasmine decides she's going to have an episode, God forbid, if Mm. she pushes that window, it's out onto the ground. She keeps her place immaculate. Best she can, yeah. In Able Ireland are saying it's not good for her. She needs to get out. She knows that. Um, Her garden 
is beautifully maintained. And because she was maintaining it, the council stopped putting in the kind of divides there, the concrete divides. So she's constantly cutting back all the brambles from the vacant properties. Um, there is, they're, they're doing their best. Are some like, vacant, yeah? There's quite a few vacant. Why? Where, um, Are they condemned or something? No, there's like there's one apartment there, and this will get this what what I don't get. It's been done up twice in the last twelve years. It's got underfloor heating. It's got a brand new stove, and it's like idle for years. And they've done it up twice. Twice, twice. and it was idle. It was they did it up twice while no one ever even moved in. On two well, occasions they did it up. Yes. Like and there, what are we going to do? What, what do we need? We need a what? We need a revolution, do we? We need something to happen in this even, country because it's just right completely gone to pot. It's still Noonan's Road. It's uh, behind uh, Saint Finbar's Cathedral, lads. Behind Saint yeah. Finbar's Cathedral, just across the road from them, there's more council housing, and their place is maintained perfectly. The grass has caught everything. Okay. There's a, a guy there that comes out and he cuts. He has to cut the grass because he's got kids with special needs. And he's afraid that they might get pricked by a needle. I see somebody taking so much care of their place that they're, they've got some beautiful flower boxes out on their terrace, their balcony. But that balcony doesn't even look safe to me. But Never mind having flowers. the photograph there that I sent you, the flashing on the roof? Yeah. That's only held on by one single nail. Okay. That, okay. that, can, be, that okay. can come down. And the problem here as well is that down near St. Finbar's Church, there's steps there that the, a lot of the addicts used to... Uh, shoot up on. It's been cleaned up but now they've been pushed up now to Noonan's Road and in the... That's why you're getting drug litter in the That's area. why you're getting quite a lot of, of drug litter and they're even kicking in the doors of some of the vacant apartments so they're going in shooting up in there. Okay. There's one lady heard it's the original door from the 1960s that was put in there and she has to put a brush up against it to keep it closed. Mm. Like I could go on. It's deplorable. Okay. It's the worst I've ever seen. Okay. If we list the councillors in the air, we'll call all them out. Okay. Okay. We'll get back to the their local representations in a few minutes' time. Clearly emotional. Seamus was there yesterday. Have a listen. Apologies. There seems to be a problem with the audio. Let me see if I can get it sorted for you. We're the forgotten ones. That's what we are. We're just forgotten about. Nobody cares what happens to us up here at all. And they haven't done for years. So long as you go down and you pay your rent, they're happy then. That's all they're worried about. Get your rent paid and uh, we'll forget about you then. We won't do nothing for you. But that, and that's just the way it is. And how long are you living here yourself? 21 years. And what's your apartment like? It's falling apart. It's falling apart. There's mould everywhere. I have a big hole in the back of my fireplace that I complained about time and time and time and time again. And do you think anybody would come up? I can actually put my hand through it and pull the insulation out. That's how bad it is. But they would not come up and fix it. What do they want, the, the place to burn down? Maybe that's what, they, what, they, what, what they're hoping for, is it? I don't know. I watched the rats come through my hallway downstairs the other day. We think we've got mice above as well now as well. Same as herself, she had mice there. We yeah, have I mice above. Well. We have mice up there. They come up, they come up the drain pipes. I mean, my next door neighbours won't even open their windows because of their children because 
of the asbestos in the pipes that are still up there. Your place is, is damp as well, is it? Yes. And we have that... a lot of damp in my place. So do you get a lot of illness because of that then? I mean, I have COPD. I have a bad heart. Um, the dampness doesn't help. I'm on in- inhalers. My partner who lives with me, he's got um, fibromyalgia. So it hurts for him to do in stairs and everything. Yeah, very painful, and his yeah. chest isn't good either. So, so the, it's, it's the situation not you're living in isn't isn't uh, isn't helping in any way. No, not at all, not okay. at all. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. No. I have the old old front door that I have to brush up to if there's a wind to keep it closed. And I think it glaze windows that shake if there's a wind. So um, our whole bedroom's covered in mildew. Yeah, I've having two floods in it. My rad broke, nothing was done about it. My bedroom got flooded. It's disgusting. And I'm really asthmatic as well. So that's not helping you? No. No, I'm just five year old up there, though, just to know what to play. He can't go down the steps because there's rats. The chair goes out in the balcony, that's it. And the balcony's falling apart. So, like, your bedroom being all mid June, you're asthmatic. Do you get a lot of chest infections then? Yeah. I mean, the doctor has about one sweet breed, say, over it. And her sinuses, she can't breathe. Yeah. I can't breathe inside the bedroom at all, like. It's coming up right next to me, my bedroom, my bedroom's next to the wall. So the bedroom's coming up on all the walls, basically. So it's making make me hard to breathe in as well. I'm, I'm actually living on Finbell Road, which is up the top down, down to the right. There's 24 apartments, or 24 flats like these, inside the terrace. Are they as bad as here? There's, there's, the whole block is collapsing, like. There's cracks that like this going in the alley all the way around the back of the flats. There's uh, the balconies are falling apart, all the windows are falling out. I actually have my windows stuffed with newspaper over the grass. Dampness, your uh, road problem in the back gardens. That's upsetting. I tree mice in my house. In my house. They comes up the bright pipes because there's walls and walls. And it comes up through the drain pipes as well. You know what I mean? They're coming in through the kitchen window. I mean, in this heat and everything. There was about like, ten of us, one yeah. morning rang the environmental house. And she said and to get out of the council. We have to get rid of them ourselves. Yeah. Well, they're still, we're still not rid of them. Their hands are washed. So what's going on? We rang the environmental health before and um, they came out to help us. But we, had, we told them we used to keep our own places clean below, which we do, which there's only so much there's you can so do. Much like. You can do like, yeah. But we, we were onto them before the environmental health. And... Is your place in festival like this no, lady's? No, two cats. It's the only reason. But it's, it's bad. Like, they're out the back. She's no. living next to the lane, didn't she? She's living right next to the lane that's closed off, and that's where the young child um, pricked her. Well, she Jesus, her they cats and she was waiting for five months you know, for the test to come back clear. And that's right next door to Janice. And that lane is closed. She don't even leave her own daughter. And no. that's because of empty or um, uncapped yeah. uh, needles? Yeah. We passed so, them down to City Hall, the last in my lunchbox full of them. You don't know what's outside in your garden when you come out in the morning, so just throwing things over the wall, it's, it's desperate, like. Do you know, like, not, none of us are complaining, no, we all want new places or whatever, we're up here years, we're doing the best we can to keep it clean. We all get on. Yeah. Do you know, it's just, it's horrible, like. But then when you hear this lady saying that there's asbestos around as well. Oh, that's it's all in them as well. Pipe, so. Yeah. So if there's a broken drain pipe, yeah. Yeah, you're so breathing that in? Every block is the same down here. Have a look, yeah. I live, I live up in the, the next one there, and it's the same. sticking out of it. Got all cracked. That's upside. Well, so that's nearly ready to give away. Yes. And look, in the inside, a big lump of concrete along that side. The kids are playing there. Yeah. 
Look at that, that's supposed to be tail, Big man. Just, mm. That's grass. Chimps you could graze, graze a horse there. That's supposed to be tail, tail and They won't even, that, only for that young fling, they're cutting that grass. Cutting that down. They cut the grass there, and they won't cut nothing there. They cut the grass there today at 1 o'clock. There's a young fling that does that, keeps that down. It'd be up there higher otherwise. Yeah. Comes so they, they, cut, they cut the grass across the road? Yeah, yeah. 1 o'clock to there. And he comes in first, he take up any papers or anything this year, and then he cut it. That's the chap's job. That's where that man fell up when he got an operation. And, isn't he and they told him he was there long enough, he should know. Yeah, but don't come and cut him here 55 years ago, and it didn't come inside the world since. And you might as well talk to that, because you were talking to the corporation. So they're they're ridiculous. Sean Martin, he came here 20 years ago, and he said this, these houses will be renovated in a few weeks. He never see him yet. There was elections, so. But sure, his letters there, I've seen he's raised it in council. He raised it in the council. He raised it because he found out it was going on. Because that's when he bullshit. And his brother went up there and asked us for votes. Behind Martin. They don't come up the next time and telling him. It's a joke in Melton. They've done nothing for us. I'm 57 years old. 58 years old. Because he's doing it. There's a whole yeah, officer here, if you ring him, you'll get into a voicemail, he won't answer you back. Yeah. We threatened him with a solicitor and he answered back. And he said, I'll send someone out to have a look at the markings on the wall, he won't say dampness. He knows it's dampness. The stain, he said. The stains. Yeah. He knows it's dampness. They're just bypassing it. And there's, what, 60 of you living here, is 60 it? 60 flats. Yeah. And you're a disgrace. That girl there had a leak. Well, and you were supposed to send a contract at all. Do no, have a look. Uh, Janice, how long ago was that leave? It's only the cracks are going to be on my phone. They're all going to come down. Kill them. And they, they never even sent a contract at all. Yeah. When the other's the same and the other's the same and every one of them, we might as well talk to the wall. Like, there's people walking on. If you just walk under the brand, like, that's actually loose, right? So when I was here with Donald and we came out, that actually fell down. But sure, that's look, rotten. Look, 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 at, look at the steel there now. Structurally, like, you know, I mean, people aren't making this up. So, like, even if that hit me or you down out this section, right, that you're, you're, you're talking, of, you're going to get a few stitches from that. If it hits an elderly person or a young person, you know. Look we've done in. You know, so, as he said, people have to look up when they're bringing their grandchildren in to meet the neighbours here, right? Um, and what it is, is they don't know, is there something going to come off the top? Because there's parts of the systems on the roof that have blown off as well. You know, so I mentioned about the grass. So there's a guy living here, all right, and he is a couple of children have disabilities, and he plugs in his electric stuff to cut this area. Cause the, yeah. These weeds came up, and it looks like grass. So he cuts this sure, back. Tarmac. Yeah, but he cuts this back, and they, look how clean this is over them. But like, and how the can they make these sec- second-class citizens when that's their property over there and they can't come across the road? It's the same address, Newland Road. So there's something wrong, you know. So they'll bypass this. Um, and as I said, there's a guy in here and his children have disabilities. Um, he has to cut it to see if there's, you know, he does a little inspection on it. He's after... But sure, I have a lady here saying that there's a um, lunchbox of needles. syringe yes, syringes uncapped, uncapped that have been taken down to City Hall. And we don't know it in here as well. So he comes out in the mornings and he has he a he good check all this area. Um, he's after doing work in his house because there's been leaks. So this, this, this has, been, has to be taken away. Um, the roof had been leaking and he's done up the bathroom twice and his children with disabilities in there 
Yeah, there's uh, that's just uh, Seamus's audio. They'd say he'd be there all day. Um, it's shocking. Um, and not going to let this one go, incidentally. Uh, Cork South Central councillors who represent the people of Noonan's Road, which is just behind St. Finbar's Cathedral, major tourist attraction, of course, and what should be and is actually a beautiful part uh, of our city and a wonderful community down there. So the councillors are uh, Councillor McFlynn, Councillor Dan Boyle, Councillor Sean Martin, Councillor Shane O'Callaghan, Councillor Paddy Deneen and Councillor Fiona Kerrans. And I ask all of you this morning, Fiona and Paddy and Shane and Sean and Dan and Mick, what are you doing to help the people who are living in these horrific conditions? What are you doing to help them? And that is an open invite to each and every one of you to answer that question. Text 0868104106 or pick up the phone and tell us what you're doing. You have constituents who are living with asbestos. And the last time that I checked, asbestosis is a chronic long-term lung condition caused by the prolonged exposure to asbestos. And your people living in your community, the residents that you represent, are living with asbestos. Now, asbestos can kill you if it's not treated not to mention that it causes all sorts of um, lung and respiratory damage. So we heard in that report as well, if that wasn't enough for you, uh, the fact that some of these balconies will collapse. Um, it's so bad then with people using the area to show... There's nothing exclusively new to people shooting up heroin and leaving their needles and their junk and their detritus behind them. But at one stage, the residents brought um, a container of needles down to City Hall. How that went down in City Hall, I have no idea. One woman in that report said, if there weren't cats in Noonan's Road, we'll be eaten alive by the rats. Um, so it's absolutely shocking. Um, in parts of the audio, you heard Jackie, who is COPD, and a partner has fibromyalgia um, and has difficulty with the stairs and what have you. But yet across the road, uh, other apartment blocks that are built at the same time are looked after uh, by council staff. So that's bewildering in itself. Uh, but anyway, back to the phone lines we go. Janice, good morning. Good morning, Neve. And talking about you, Seamus got quite upset when he was sharing the story of you and your daughter who uh, lives, she's got nonverbal autism, lives with autism. That's right, yeah. How, I mean, it may sound like a stupid question, but how bad is it? It's bad. It's bad. Yeah. That's Seamus song says it's really bad. Shame. Like, you don't like, want to move. You're not looking to go somewhere else. No, you love where you are, and the neighbours are fabulous. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we do like, but it's it's there's only so much that we can do. We're there, and I'm speaking for all my neighbours. We're trying to keep it as clean as we can, like that we all watch out for each other. It's it's, but as as Seamus saw yesterday, fighting a losing battle. Like my I my my daughter's a full time job. I'm trying to keep on top of everything. This this. It's just, it's awful. I have my back garden clear for the child, sensory garden. I do my best. But I could come out in the mornings and you don't know what someone's after throwing over the wall from the lane. There could be needles, there could be drugs thrown in, there could be bottles. And that's every day. And Jasmine's not the only autistic child in the block. Like, we can't leave them out the front. The front I door. know you can't, because I've seen mm. videos sent to me yesterday it's afternoon of, of yeah. rats scurrying around... And climbing in and out of bins. You would have to see it to believe it. Saw it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 And you lugging that buggy up and down those steps. Up and down, yeah. That's her comfort. She doesn't, she can't be outside. Like, if she goes out the back garden, fair enough, she'll come up my hands. But if I have to go anywhere, the shop, town, anywhere, she goes in, in that buggy. So I'm, I'm lifting that up and down the steps all the time. And my, my back is nearly gone from it, to be honest with you. 
as I say, I I, I love the area, I love being here, but it's it's just like it's like we're forgotten. There's nothing being done for us. It, it's just horrible. And what I, is, what I think is what I think is fabulous of all of you, you and people I spoke with yesterday, and every single person in that report there. None of you play the race card. None of you look at it from the point of view of. Say, for instance, um, a chap here says to me, the accommodation is not good enough for our own people. It's only the Irish would be put in these places. You never once played that card, in fairness. No, that's not the point we're making. Like, we love our homes. We wouldn't begrudge anybody else. It's just that we just want a small bit of help, a bit of acknowledgement. It's like like every block of flats around Cork all has been fixed or retrofitted or something. But it's like we were just left here. And I, I, I do believe it's that they've come out, come out, looked and said, all right, this is going to cost us too much, which it is between the asbestos. But they, they'd literally have to demolish the whole place. Mm. Like there, know, so there definitely is, there, there definitely is exposed asbestos there. Oh, there is, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you know, hear people talking about chronic conditions. They, they, they talk about asthma and they talk about COPD and things like that. I'm just wondering: Has anybody been has been anybody oh, been checked for asbestosis? I'm an, in, I'm an inhaler. No, I don't. I don't know that. Now, to be honest with you, but I do know that. Like I'm on, but my third antibiotic this year already from my chest, chest okay. infection yeah, from yeah. and the kids. It's, you know, like you're wasting your time. I, I know you want yeah. to keep your place beautiful as best you can, but you're never going to get on top of that mold. No, no. I just that, that's what I'm saying. We're fighting a losing battle. They're they're crumbling away in front of us. There's people got out of here because they're they said that their flats were condemned. I don't understand how you can condemn a flat, put a lick of paint on the wall, and move another family in. And, and is that all that happens? Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Hang, hang, hang on there, Jackie. Yeah. Okay. I heard you in the report as well. You have a bad health condition and your partner has a bad health condition. Um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And you're the one that's got a big massive hole in the stove and everything. Yeah. 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 Well, no, it's not my stove. It's actually the fire. Yeah. Because yeah. I have an open fire okay. here. What's the story and with the heating the system? I was talking to somebody with the, about the heating system yesterday that hasn't worked for three years. That's right. Yeah, that's a, that's the girl up the road there. Their their heating system don't work. I mean, there's. I mean, I think I'm bad off, but there's a lot of people here in this road that are a lot worse off than what I am. A lot worse off. In what way? But Tell me how like, worse off. There's people here that are really sick, and they're living in conditions that they shouldn't be living in. Mm. They're living in damp mold and all the rest of it. they shouldn't be living that way it's just not right mm. as as janice was just saying to you we're like the forgotten people nobody wants to know about us no do, one do counselors call no matter though. how many times you phone them up or ask them to come up or do something they just ignore you they don't care okay okay william o'brien cares doesn't he the activist <laughs> Yes, he does. He's very good. And it was down to him that we're on to you and that we're highlighting all of this. And thank God for him. Okay, let me uh, let me talk to Sean Martin, the Fianna Fáil uh, councillor for your parish area. He joins me by phone. Thank you, Janice, and thank you, Jackie. Sean, thank good morning. You. Thanks for taking the call. Morning to you. Um, can you can you tell me? Did you did you hear that report uh, that we did with with Seamus yesterday afternoon, Sean Martin? I didn't. Okay, can you hear me all right? 
I can I can kneel yeah. Okay. I, 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 heard, okay. And I, I know I've seen it myself up there. Do you, so you have visited? I've been up there over the years um, on numerous occasions, as have other councillors um, over the years. We've put down the motions for retrofitting. Uh, my, the motion I now put down goes beyond retrofitting. Um, and I had that into council five or six weeks ago. I've been looking at the new developments on Ballock Street and then Roaches Cross. I think there's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for us now to genuinely fix the situation in Noonan's Road. Also, we're talking here about Fourth Street. Uh, Dean Street and St. Finbar's Road, which I've included in the motions as well, because it's bigger than just it's bigger than Newman's Road. And I think we have, an, an, um, you know, there's 32 units coming on stream in Ballock Street, there's 43 and then Roaches Cross. There's a number, there's different thumbs uh, up there. You have, you have some owner occupied aisles. You have people who want to get out but want to come back when there's a new bill there. So I think it's, there's a responsibility and an onus on council and particularly council management and councillors to sit down, I'm uh, getting a report back in September, sit down with these people and offer solutions to the problem. And retrofitting is not a solution any longer. Well, it so, might have been at some stage, but it's gone beyond, well beyond that. Beyond just that just a couple of questions for you. Um, uh, how, how come they've been so ignored for so many years? Because this is not anything new. You, you talk about a motion from three weeks ago, but what about all of the years previous to that where they've been asking for help? Neil, the motion's gone down from every council. Well, most councils have put motion down over the years asking for retrofitting because there was funding there for retrofitting. And for some special reason, every time it came up, we were told the budget was gone or the money wasn't coming down. And now there was an extensive retrofit program in the South Central Ward where all Bally behind, Paula Duff, Edward Wilde Road, that was all done. So there was an extensive program done in the area. But for some reason, um, Nunes Road seems to have, passed, uh, have been passed by. And I suspect, I suspect myself, it's because genuinely, when they looked at it, they said it was it, there was more work needed than just a retrofit. A retrofit will solve your heating problems and, and the doors and windows, but I think the, the structure of those buildings is long gone. Okay, so people have been living without heat for three years. They are living with exposed asbestos. Are there any alarm bells going off about that? Well, Neil, from my perspective, I chaired the Finance Committee. We took out a loan of 11 million euros a number of years ago to address... Um, create funding so that we could do sort these problems out in council houses, right? So I, I as a councillor and other councillors in City Hall, took out a eleven million euro loan for just for that that kind of to do central heating and to fix problems in local authority housing. So I mean, I don't understand why they were. If someone's heating has gone for three years, the funding was there. The councillors ensured the funding was there. And I don't understand why that was left. OK, well, we, we talk about private landlords all too often on the air here who have a much higher standard to meet than it would seem Cork City Council do. Because in this case, City Council are slum landlords who continue to take rent, regardless of the conditions that their tenants live in. Neil, I, I think, look, I, I looked at my son the other day. I, I just, I, I put my hand up on Owners Road and, and Finn Basel. I was speaking to a number of people in Finn Basel Road the other day and Dean Street. And like I said, I, 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 I'm personally calling that we know retro, or, or move people out, decant, like we've done, in, like we're doing in Bison Street, like we've done in the Northwest Ward. Move people, give them an option of going into the new developments in the same area, and then you knock the flats and do a brand new build. And if people want to come back into the area they were originally in, let them have that choice. If people have one occupied properties there, then sit down and negotiate with them or discuss with them the concept of, shit, of going a house for a house. I have no issue with that. I think it has come to that. I think retrofitting is now pie in the sky, personally. I think it's about decanting. It's about knocking. 
the existing fat structures and moving people to better conditions, to better infrastructure. Yeah. Um, and th- those two developments keep them in the area if they want to stay in the area but, but, and they can come back in again in, in, in two or three years' time. But Janice, Janice, do you want to move? I don't. I, but like, I do and I don't. I, I, I love a place that, that's suitable for me and my daughter. I love the area. I love the neighbours. I just, it's literally, it's, it's, it's coming to the point where I, I just feel like it, it's getting me down because no matter what I do, it's just, it, it, I'm not getting anywhere with it. Like, it's okay. just horrible. Okay. Horrible. Um, ju- just, and also, yeah, like the windows, the windows in my bedroom, like one of them is loose. Jasmine has no sense of fear. She's constantly jumping on the window. And if you push that with your hand, it comes out a little bit. I think You're living on your nerves. Day. You're living on alert all I of the am. time. There's no I enjoyment in honest. your home. None yeah. whatsoever. Um, yeah. So there's a fear also, apparently, it would seem, uh, Sean, of... Uh, of the buildings collapsing because the steel is rotting, the concrete is falling down, there are chunks of it falling, uh, not to mention the mould and the mildew which would give off spores and the children are sick, children have asthma, children have repeated infections, they're constantly on antibiotics. Yeah, I can, I mean, I've had myself in need and I can understand that situation with people and on, on, on constant antibiotics and I think that's down to the environment you're living in. I'm not one more suggesting there's anything else um, and I think all I'm saying as a counsellor I've been at this for years there's six of you there's incidentally there are yeah, six of you I know I know for the first time see a light I see developments going on adjacent to it and I take Janice's point and it's in my motion it states quite clearly that people could move temporarily for two or three years and then be offered to come back in like we've done in the northwest world in the city to come back into where the original mark when the new build is completed and that means we need to go to the SHIP programme, that's the Social Housing Investment Programme, and ask for funding from government to do the new building. But why does uh, it take them coming to, uh, to, to the media to make things happen? Why wouldn't this have been in the plans all along? I mean, what's the city manager say about all of this? Is she even aware? Uh, I mean, I, I, look, we had the development of Street, and it didn't start for a number of years. There were different reasons. There was architectural problems. Then, the, unfortunately, the builder passed away. And that got delayed. And I just seized an opportunity here, along with one or two other people. And I've been at this for a lot longer than four or five, six weeks. They didn't, I didn't hijack any protests last week. But this motion went through council a number of weeks ago. And I've had discussions with other people about how, how, how can we... But you took on? umbrage about a community activist getting involved in it, claiming that he no, jumped on your, on your patch. I, sorry, I didn't take umbrage. Would anybody be walking on my patch? Um, if, if people want to walk in the patch, that's what you can tell It's a democratic society. I was doing that motion was going in irrelevant to what happened last week. And it's a number of weeks old, by the way. It's still a while. And I just, as a man on the ground, and I, I, I knocked the door. Why are, people, why are people paying rent to live in these conditions? I could not disagree. I knocked the doors for 29 years as a meat reader with the SB. So I, I'm well familiar with the, with the area and with the condition and the problems in the area, as well as the councils. And some remedial work to fix this. There was some infill housing, went, they're right, the people were telling you. There was some nice infill housing, went in across the road a number of years ago. The, the, the other issue, Neil, is shared door space. Across the road, people had turned to keep themselves, they had their own entrance to, to, the, to the, the housing. So would it be, okay, no, so across, because across the road, everything's hunky-dory in similarly built units. But yet so where... They're different, they're, 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 you can turn the key yourself. Would, would you accept they were all built at the same time, though? Um, 60s and 70s, yeah. yeah. Okay, so why then are they exclusively being looked after, but yet where we're talking about, how many flats are we talking about in total, Janice? 
60 flats. 60. Why are these 60 yeah. being ignored? Is it too big so, a problem to bother with now at this stage? No, I can't. I, 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 no, we're talking 100 miles If you include the Flynn Bath Road, which is equally had the same problems, and, and fortunately, um, you're talking 100, roughly around 100 plus. Like, so, um, that, that's, all, to me, all, they all have the same issue. That's me personally, from being wrong. Yeah, but that's not answering the question. Across the road, there's care and attention across and road, refurbs and refitting. Across the road is a different build. They have their own front garden space. They've turned the key themselves. They're not, the, they're not the same as the flats we're talking about. No, they're not the they're same. That, but that's like comparing two different car models. They're still no, cars they're not, at the end of the day. You and I know it's, it's a four different families sharing a space. It can, cause, it can cause issues. We have left it go. We're not defending what we did as a council. We're not defending for one moment. And that's why you put down this motion, because I saw an opportunity. But it's not the fault of the residents. I didn't say this. I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I think, look, we walked it over there. My son was doing one side, he was doing the other. There's some fantastically kept properties there. And I, you, you would say to yourself, people who have done their best, they've cleared, they, they, they washed their stairs, steps and everything else, and it's not right that they have to live in such conditions or such an environment. Uh, there's no council to defend it. What I'm saying here is we need to fix it, and there's an opportunity on the horizon to do that, and I think we need to grasp it. I also think that uh, Peter so, Janice knows. I spoke to a couple of people, and they want to stay there, and some want to go away. Okay, there are, we, we need to accept that, and we need to walk with them. I hear that there are two that were re- refurbished twice, although no one ever moved into them. That's the kind of nonsense that people have to, to put I up would, with. I would agree, Neil, and, and I, 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 I suspect people won't move into because when they go up and see the, the condition of the area, they, they won't move, and that's understandable. So they sit there again, they become dilapidated again, they're refurbished again, and they sit empty again. I think the, the structure here is is completely flat. I just forgot the end. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, just, just, just hold on. Thank you so much uh, to um, to Janice for holding on. Hold on, Sean, because I think Councillor Paddy Deneen also joins me. Paddy, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Again, there are six of you there. You've been there for a long time um, and yet have sat on your hands with regards to these residents for far too long. And only when a torch is shone do you guys tend to sit up and do anything about it. How would you respond to that? Well, first of all, like, we haven't sat on our hands whatsoever. Like We have been working with um, with residents of Nunes over down through the years. I myself have been representing a number of residents who have issues with uh, subsidence, and I have successfully got them rehoused. And fr- from, from those blocks, was, is it? Not, not exactly from that block. So why are you referencing other ones that I'm not talking about? I'm talking mm-hmm. about the ones that were featuring the uh, the rat infestation, yeah. the drug needle yeah. litter, uh, the um, asbestos, the blocks collapsing, the drafts, the mold, the mildew. Um, those ones. Yes. Yes, I understand what you're saying. But you're saying we sat in our hands, but we, we're not sitting on our hands at all, really. Like we are working with, with, with the council to try and get the, the whole area regenerated. And that's, that's what we're doing a number of years ago. We did have our plans too for the retrofitting, and that seems to have stalled. We, we're still working on that to try and get that back on track. Now, it's in Bell Road itself, the one that you're highlighting this morning, was brought to my attention by William O'Brien at the weekend. And it is my intention to call up there now during the week to see, to see it for myself. And from there, then, we will endeavour then to um, have, have the issues addressed. Would you not try and get some council officials or, or those that actually give the nod to things to go with you, all the way from, say, Anne Doherty down? Come and say, say to them, come on, I want to show you something where Cork people are living these days. 
Well, that can be done as well, but the first step would have to be to, for myself to go up and have a look at ourselves, and then we have the local area committee then to raise that and then have have the whole area reassessed. Does anybody ever come out and of their offices plan. in City Hall and go and visit, say to them, come on, I want to take you for a walk, see what people are living in? Like, Do that, they ever I do it? I don't know that. Or is it just, just kind of photo ops or going for trips around the city with the uh, chief, the commissioner of the cops or something like that, or a visiting dignitary? Do they ever go out and see I, where people are living? I can't really answer for the executive note, to be honest. I don't know what they do, but um, I know what we do, and we do our best for the okay. area, and we, we, and we will do our best for okay. Stephen Bell. So what, 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 what commitment are the both of you giving now this morning to the people that live there? Well, I can, I, all I can give to the, the residents at the moment is that I, I have a contact number. I received a contact number, and I will be calling up during the week to see it for myself, and we will raise it at the local area committee meeting, and, we'll bring it, we, and we will bring it forward to the housing department. Right, okay. To okay. push this and, and speed it up. Okay. Sean? Yeah, well, I've had a number of emails from people following me on my Instagram drop last week. I'm looking for a master plan. I'm going to have a full report back in September, and I suspect that's going to start moving things around. That's my honest opinion. But we're not talking about retrofit anymore. We're talking about, no, your, I, Sean, you're I'm saying, you're going further. You're saying people need to be moved out and needs to be flattened or rebuilt, is it? Yeah. And okay. I, I, I'm, I'm not to say that, and I'm not calling for it. And I think you can then go back into a brownfield site and do much more modern development going forward and let people who... And I talked to people there last week. They like the area, they love their neighbours and they want to stay there. And what I'm saying is you can move them for two or three years when you do the new build and give them the option to come back in. Because there are some great people up there, some very well-kept areas. We have let them down as a council. And, and, and I know, personally, I've come to the conclusion that retrofit is a need. It's point in the sky. Okay. And when is the next council meeting? Well, the report will come in September because I look for it. I want the master plan on this. I want the full... No, but when, when do you guys gather next in council? Um, next Monday week, I think, or Monday. I, I, um, 10th of July. 10th of July. Would it be not an opportunity for the six of you to bring it up on the 10th of July, surely? Um, if I, 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 I'd be going in for a knee replacement at the end of the week. Okay, well, fair enough. I understand that. But surely you could do it, Paddy, couldn't you? You could stand up on your two hind legs no. and say... This isn't good well, enough. you see, you, you'd have to get around the agenda first, uh, Neil. And um, Off I you think go, the, then. Best, the best, the best step here would be to bring to bring it just to the housing and work with the housing directly and uh, on a one-to-one with the local councillors and the head of housing. Yeah, Neil, they're addressing that. I have spoke to housing. They're addressing the motion as we speak about the decanting, and they're going to come back with an answer. And I think council needs to be big enough to, to actually you know, go, go look for it to happen. We are doing it, and we've done it by Street. We've done it in the North for over a decade. We can do it in Nunes Road. Why is it before. that Cork City Council, for some reason, uh, spend huge amounts of money at the cost of the taxpayer to bring in a group to carry out inspections of all private flats, apartments and houses in Cork that would be paid for uh, through public funds, but yet they allow their own to dilapidate and fall apart. But they give, they give other private landlords grief and they engage Gr- Grant, uh, Grant Thornton to carry out inspections on their behalf. Like, well, the re- what's that about? Well, yeah, well, the, the, reason, the reason for those inspections is because the, those landlords are receiving the half payments, etc., etc. Yeah, so but who's, who's inspecting, who's inspecting the kips that Cork City Council put people in? Well, that's exactly what we have to raise and, and find out what's going on here. But Neil, Neil, in fairness, though, and I understand the what's going on in this particular area. It's not good enough and it hasn't been for quite some time. But we have regenerated a lot of areas in our world over the years. The party will testify to. We have done a lot of good stuff in, 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 in we say, White Street, High Street, uh, the, 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 
I know that, but that's not answering the question. The Thornton, the Thornton Group go in on behalf of City Council to inspect all private flats and apartments. A landlord has showed me the results of one of them, um, where the City Council will give grief now to the landlord because the windows don't have restrictors on them and there's mould in the apartment. There will be murder because of that, but yet they are the biggest sinner when it comes to mould and mildew themselves. Neil, I've had issues myself with some of our regulation. That's that's for another day. (laughs) It is, but it's exasperating though, isn't it? I would agree with you, yeah. I think sometimes the the standard being asked for is too high. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay, gentlemen, we'll be keeping a close eye on it. Thank you both. And fairness to both of you coming on. I do appreciate it. Not an easy conversation. Councillor Paddy Deline, Councillor Sean Martin. We'll watch this space for details. Uh, Far from finished on this one, I can tell you. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. Now... Show. Red FM. Don't forget to text with regards to our afternoon tea giveaways, courtesy of ourselves and Sally's Tea Room at the four-star Carrigaline Court Hotel. In total, the tea room takes 22 people. It can be hired privately as well. And we're giving away on Friday a private hire. So it'll be you and 21 others, 22 of you. Uh, in fact, you'll stay overnight, bed and breakfast and dinner at the Cargilline Court Hotel, but 22 of you will go for afternoon tea. Every other day, including today, a table for four for afternoon tea with Prosecco at Sally's Tea Room. We want to know what three famous people, dead or alive, would you invite to join you for afternoon tea? And I need you to text 0868104106 and we'll do calls and texts on that throughout the course of the next hour. A lot of texts on different topic over the past couple of days. Many, many people talking about Noonan's Road and Greenmount. The mould is brutal. I understand that. But what about cleaning the mould and wiping with the cloth? Doesn't work, pal. Doesn't work. None of those things work. Mould paint doesn't work. So that poor girl is three years trying to talk to City Council and you're waiting how long to speak to Ann Doherty? Um, A year. Same length of time as I'm waiting to speak to Micheál Martin. I know the cheek at him. Um, RT is only the start of it. Ireland is rotten to the core. Anything to do with political parties is absolute dirt. I'm a private renter. I've had three council inspections in the last year. <laughs> three council inspections as a private renter, but nobody inspects the council properties. My private landlord, who is great, has the property registered and the rent is reasonable, but he has no choice but to increase my rent because of the ridiculous work that's needed to be completed. Moving the CO2 monitors a few inches, window restrictors, new vents, nothing we actually need. Why can't they look after their own property instead? Now, that's interesting because City Council have retained the services of a very good company. I have no issue with the company. They're doing good work, the Thornton Group. And they go in and they inspect uh, private flats, apartments and houses um, because, of course, City Council pays towards the rent of the private ones. But nobody, um, nobody, the council never engaged Thorntons to carry out the same inspections of their own properties, did they? When they asked them to go in and come back with, you you said it had something to do with moving a CO2 monitor. I've heard in the past of, um, you know, uh, mould issues um, in private uh, apartments or houses that the council get very worked up about, but they don't get worked up about it when it comes to their own property. And there was one other one then um, that I heard come in by text where um, uh, the mechanical ventilation in the bathrooms um, uh, was noticed that uh, 
the ventilation system was on the same switch as the light switch, which it is in my house. You turn on the light, the vent up on the roof turns on, and the ceiling turns on as well. You can't be doing that, lads. City Council won't let you do that. The wind goes Thornton's, and these are the kind of things that they make people correct. But yet their own places are absolute kips. I don't know. You couldn't make it up. You couldn't make this up, as they said. Um, uh, a lot then on the HSE and an awful lot of people talking about uh, doctors being burnt out and stuff like that. I got an interesting text on that one, actually, with the amount of time it takes for somebody from overseas who wants to come in and be a GP here in Ireland. Uh, I was This one by text, Mike says, I was listening to your conversation with Dr. Fiona. Three weeks ago on the 6-1 News, Simon Coveney stated it was now 10 days to get a working visa for Ireland. 10 days, he says. We are the fastest country in the world to issue working visas and the shortest processing time. Yet, Dr. Fiona, uh, on the air, stated it would take 12 months for a full professional doctor with all their college and certifications to show his qualifications and get into the country. God knows how long it would take for a doctor to move his entire family or their entire family. Can I tell you that I am an Irish citizen born and reared, and I married a Thai citizen last March. I submitted all my paperwork to the Irish Embassy in Bangkok to support my status, finally, and I'm also an Irish homeowner. The documents were then sent to Dublin, and there they sit in a queue for the last eight months. We also received an email saying, do not call them, do not email. We were provided with a link to check the process of the application. It is updated every Tuesday. Every week, it only moves about three days forward. My wife was here last year on holidays for three months and abided by the visa rules. I tried to see if I could get another holiday visa while she was waiting, but it is forbidden. We've been together now for four years. The system is just wrong for us Irish citizens. I should have told her to get on a plane, eat your passport for lunch on the way. Everything would have been sorted. Please don't give up my info for obvious reasons or I'll be waiting even longer. And that by email to neil at redfm.ie. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Pick up the phone on 0818-104-106. And from that area of the city down along the estuary down to Mahan. I'm not giving out the details of a very concerned resident, more than one incidentally. Uh, hi Neil, as you have brought up on your show last week about the dwindling number of guards in Mahan Garda Station. Yes, seriously dwindling number and the force working in Mahan. I felt I needed to mail you about life in the Mahan area. There are many good people living in Mahan, lots of volunteer groups, lots of local clubs like Ring Mahan Rangers and St. Michael's, the Rainbow Club. But there's also a small element living down here that are hell-bent on destroying the community. They cause criminal damage to the local clubs, while the Loch Mahan Park is a well-known area for anti-social behaviour, let us call it, and their regular fires, as well as being a well-known spot for open drug dealing. I envisage a very serious accident in there soon with the amount of scrambler motorbikes speeding around the park with young kids trying to play. There are horse and carts being rode side by side on the main roads. There are young children threatening our kids. It's basically a lawless society down here. Mahan guards very rarely answer the phone they just don't want to know about it. They turn a blind eye to all of it and don't want to investigate any of it because I believe there is such low Garda morale that they just can't be bothered. I fear for my children growing up here as the intimidation from this section of the people has peaked the last few months and they are known to be untouchable and that the guards can't 
and don't bother doing anything about it because of that. Keep my name private. I'm a very concerned resident. But that story last week when we were talking, this actually started because we were talking about IBAL, the um, uh, Irish Businesses Against Litter. We're talking about Mahan is improving in the area. It seems to have touched a nerve when I talked about this because just be, not too far before that, uh, there was a, a big raid down on a certain section uh, in Mahan. Uh, people were, got in touch with me. One says, not sure what was going on down there, but the area was surrounded by unmarked guard cars and uniforms from early morning. I hope it has something to do with the heroin dealing that's going on in the Mahan area. Uh, you have an individual driving. I won't name the car for fear that the guy will come back and sue me because I won't be able to prove it. But I can tell you it's a big F-off car worth lots of money. And that really is peeing off an awful lot of working people with mortgages down here in Mahan. On another note, I live in a particular estate in Mahan and there are nine houses in the park. Five are privately owned and three of them are living here for 30 years. I'm here 16 years. Can I tell you that four out of the five privately owned houses are for sale behind the scenes? They're even being offered to Cork City Council because of the intimidation and harassment from a certain section of society down here, including smashed windows, plaster kicked off garden walls, thrown into the houses, horses outside our houses constantly, came home one day to find the garden gates opened and two horses inside my garden. And all you get is threats. Uh, then later, you'll probably get a brick through your window. We are sick to death of it down here, says Desi. And that by text to 0868 104 um, So our, we have a lot of societal issues, don't we? We really and truly do. And as time goes on, it would appear to be more and more and more of it. I don't know what the answer is. I really and truly don't. Uh, Natasha, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Thank you. What prompted your call? Just the whole Newlands Road um, situation, really, when I heard all the stuff about the mould and stuff with the residents, like, it's terrible. Um, but I'm kind of in the same situation myself at the minute. Yeah, there's, in a, lot my more, there's a lot more than mould, girl. I, was, I wish it was only mould, but it's not. It's rat infestation, living with asbestos, yeah. um, people with all sorts of different chronic illnesses, nowhere for the kids to play, drug litter. child last week got st- stabbed in the heel by a, a heroin needle, you know? That's shocking. It actually is. It's absolutely disgraceful. Mm-hmm. How bad is it for you? Um, well, I sent you a picture on, on WhatsApp of my bed at the minute. Um, like, at the minute I'm living in my mum's house with my mum and my brother and my son. But he's sharing a bed with me. My son, he's Did you leave your own place? No, I never had my own place. Okay, but the place where you <laughs> sent the pictures, I have the pictures here. Let me just pull them up here on the old dog and bone. The 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 picture you sent, who's living in the place, in that house? So there's me, my mum and my brother and my son. Is that your family home then? Yeah, it yeah. would be, yeah. yeah. It would. Um, but I'm sharing a bed, a bed with my son, actually, and um, he has autism as well, so... It's obviously challenging, but um, like I have to push my bed up to the wall just so that he doesn't fall out. Um, but that's literally the, the bed that I'm sleeping in at the moment. Like it's just full of mold and dampness. And no matter how many times my brother paints the bedroom, it just keeps coming back. And I'll be sick a lot, Neil. Um, Does he constantly out of school and everything? Yeah, and is he is he sick with what like chest related stuff? Is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, Alfie had Strider when he was born as well. So he had, um, like, a floppy larynx. So um, 
his breathing wasn't the best and he was small, but he kind of grew out of it. But what I am just I, don't what, see. What am I looking at here? It's it's um is that the mattress? It's it's full of black spots all over it. Just yeah, destroyed. That's my mattress at the, at the moment now. Yeah, they're mold spores. You're breathing those, are you? Yeah. Do you any idea how dangerous those are? I know, but like you, like you'd need a lot of money now to keep buying mattresses. Neil, this is my third mattress I'm after getting. Like. That's in the air. That mold and those spores are in the air, um, and they're yeah. literally just landing everywhere. And then they're growing on the mattress. Yep. And I see the, I see, the, I see, I see the walls. Then you know what it's like. It's like somebody took a paintbrush, dipped it in black paint, and spattered it all over your walls. Yeah, it's the same on the window sills now as well. Did your brother? Um, did your brother use a mold anti mold paint? Yeah. Yeah, everything. Yeah, my brother is doing painting a long time at home. Like he's painted all the rooms and stuff. My mum, but um, it doesn't make a difference. It really doesn't. Like I don't know where to go from here. Like I'm on the housing list myself. Obviously, trying to get my own house with Alfie, but I don't know. I've contacted TVs, a few TVs actually that have been on the air with yourself. Um. And it's not getting me anywhere, to be honest. And like where I'm living is on a main road. It's it's actually really dangerous. I don't have a front or a back garden either for my son to even go out and play. We're not saying where oh, you're I living, really... are we, Natasha? We're not saying where you're living, no? Um, I'm okay if you do, I'm, well, if you're okay, let me know where it is. It's Tremor Road, you know. Um, I do know Tremor Yeah. Yeah, it's just I'm literally right living on that road there by the roundabout. Yeah, you're paying your rent every week. Yeah, yeah every single week. Yeah, of course. I'm working um, in a permanent job the last seven years, so I'm doing everything that I can really. Um, but it's just frustrating when you don't, you're not getting anywhere. Like, mm, mm. Um, are you bidding? Yeah, I bid religiously every. Tuesday night, I go, I log on to CBL and I yeah. obviously bid Neil on what's suitable, so like two bedroom houses and whatever, um, that I'm eligible for because I'm obviously not eligible for other properties. But you waiting there? You waiting there at midnight? I suppose for the CBL list to be posted. Twelve o two, Neil. Twelve o two. I know the time and all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I log on religiously every week um, and then obviously I'd email who I have to email, but I just, I don't know. It's just hard, like, if I was in the circumstances I'm in with my son either, you know, I'd be happy to live to live here, but it's just not, it's not suitable, like. I don't know, man. I just don't know. I despair. Um, I really and truly My do. whole point, though, coming but, on, Neil, is I just wanted to... Like, I would just love to know what the council are actually doing because there's a lot of houses that are idle, um, you know, that are idle for over two years at this point. And, like, why can't they put people into them? And I don't even just me myself. There's a lot of people with more time than me on the list and in different circumstances. I just don't understand it. Mm. It's frustrating, like. And can just... you, do you, are, you, are you aware of vacant properties, yeah? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Are you aware of ones that have been recently refurbed and done up and just sit there? Um, 
Recently, yeah. I do know one or two, yeah. Mm. Mm. Very frustrating when you see that and they're perfect and nobody living in them. It is, and I just would love to know, like, you know, obviously you can only email usual emails and stuff inside the council bus. So you're, like, you're, you're a young girl in your late 20s rearing a son who's on the autism spectrum going out to work every day, working permanently, paying your rent uh, with no prospects of any improvement. Uh, I wonder why you bother working. I wonder why you bother. And, you know, like all you'd be told as well is, oh, apply for rental properties. Neil, I'm doing that. I've applied, tried to apply for half everything. It doesn't. It's worse now that it's gone. And I'm doing this. Like, I'm applying, applying for rented houses over two years, since 2021. And I've gotten absolutely no luck. If you, had more, ch- if you had more children, would you move faster? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. I don't know. Being honest. Um, not suggesting not suggesting for no, a moment that you no, should I'm no just thanks. saying it does seem to matter how many children you have I know. well it probably does go off of you know stuff like that as well I presume because obviously you know I wouldn't be entitled to like a three bedroom or whatever but I just I am aware that there's two bedroom houses in Cork City that are idle and I just don't understand why uh, they can't put people into them like alright I have to say that's the worst wall of mould I've seen in a long, long time. And it is most definitely the worst mattress with regards to mould and um, mildew staining. I mean, it's just awful. Yeah, it's really bad. Could we share those photographs? If you want. Just, pe- just so that people can see. what they're, But yeah. some Cork people are paying rent to the local council for. The worst slum landlords of them all. Yep. And just before you go, Neil, I actually, this is actually an example of it. I contacted the council over probably seven months ago to um, check the windows, you know, like the ventilation and stuff. Yeah. And they came out and checked it and said that they'd replace the downstairs window in my mum's house. And we've still wait, we're still waiting for that to be replaced. That was over seven months. Seven or eight months ago, I yeah, think. Yeah, doesn't surprise me. So, like, me. why do we have, like you pay extra money for certain things and, and it's taken out of your rent? Do you I believe pay my rent you pay your rent religious? Absolutely. Do you believe that it's only the Irish would be put into them? Or do you have any thoughts on that at all? I mean, like, you, you wouldn't put you wouldn't put, say, for instance, an asylum seeker or a refugee or a Ukrainian war family into a. Uh, into a uh, little uh, flat house that you're living in. You just just wouldn't. Well, you wouldn't. You wouldn't put any human being into a house like that. Um, Whether they're Irish or not, like, it's just, it's shocking, like, to be honest. I don't know really what what way they do it inside the council, what way they're housing people, but they'd really want to step up their game anyway because it's ridiculous. Thanks, and Natasha. And it's really frustrating. Well, as well. It you sound worn out. You worn out? Yep. Yeah, you sound it. Sorry. You sound it. Okay, thank you so much. For the guys to Noonan's Road, uh, this accommodation is not good enough for our own people. The refugees and immigrants should be put in these places and the Irish should be in superior accommodation. It's wrong on every level. Irish people before foreigners. Don't care about the hate speech laws. You probably won't even read this out. Uh, says GP in Blarney. Desi says, not once in the whole interview did I hear one person saying 
that they spoke to and got help from a local councillor or from City Hall. So why do we elect these people who obviously do not do their job they've been elected for? Uh, in relation to the residents of Noonan Road, with the call-out of the councillors, they will be lining up now to give their empty promises and BS, saying that they will look after the matter. The councillors are an absolute disgrace in not taking action in representing their constituents. Uh, well done for Seamus and his great work highlighting it in his report, says Don. Um, I'm living in the same flats in Toker. Our balconies are falling apart. The council solution was to put a bit of timber on the rotten edges. The city councillor are the biggest scumbags in this country. Uh, I'm one of the neighbours across the road whose grass gets cut by council, but myself and the rest of the neighbours had to fight for years to get someone up to look after it. It's on a main road to the airport, so it needs to be looked after, but it didn't come easy. Not quite sure what the um, main road to the airport, are you, are you talking about from an aesthetic pleasing point of view? I think if it was only about cutting grass, I think the residents that or in Noonan's Road, would gladly cut their own grass. I think the problems are much bigger than that. A revolution's on the way. End the talking. Put a hold on the rent. Scrap the city and council councils. They're not doing their job. They're only interested in junkets. They'll be out and about with the tricolours for the World Cup in six months' time um, to investigate RTE. By who? Not one mention of the finance minister or the regulator. Thanks, Frick. Uh, Fianna Fáil has been a government for three of the five years since the foundation of the state and it is an absolute mess. Anyone that joins these parties only does it for their own interests. Is it time to storm City Hall and kick out the wasters that currently occupy it? The time is coming to put manners on people, says Paddy. Uh, And then one or two more. The only way for the residents to get results is to sue the council. They are their landlords, simple as... Uh, And then just watch how many local people will get the units they're talking about. Guaranteed a substantial number of foreign nationals will be allocated ahead of our own. (sighs) Don't know about that. Um, uh, Never keen to to to, to be shown or be throwing the race card, although I am seeing texts on it here that, you know, the substandard conditions only seem to apply. Uh, to Irish. Uh, text 0868104106. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818104106. Phone lines, Mike, good morning. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Uh, very sad to hear about your dad. Worked all his life as a painter and decorator. Was clearly exposed to asbestos um, at some stage during his career and died of asbestosis at 79. Am I correct? Yeah. Um, so he was 79. Um, would have been 80 at Christmas just gone. So say the end of uh, 2021, he was kind of, uh, like he had a stink in his heart back in, when he was in his early 70s. But he started to slow down. He was walked everywhere, like loved walking. So he was a very fit man. Like. Yeah. Yeah. So he thought it was his thing to acting up. So, like any typical man, didn't want to go to the doctor again. So we kind of pushed pushed him to go to the doctor in uh, March um, last year. Last year, and um, doctor said, "No, it's not your, not the stint. Jeez, you're as healthy as when I put the stint back in." And that was grand. So a few weeks after, we kind of said, "Would you not go to the bonds for?" Um, MOT like a checkup. like was he kind of out of breath or no energy or, or struggling and things like that he, he was 79 years of age so out of breath yeah but we were putting it down to his age you know 
Um, see, I, I'll go back uh, a couple of months before that. Say, um, uh, say May 2021, my dad was looking after my, his, older, his older brother and his older brother passed away. So since then, dad was going downhill. But when my uncle kind of fell over, dad kind of thought he pulled muscle in his side. Mm. And since then, since May, say, 2021, he was very... He was kind of a bit sluggish. We always said, like, Dad, you're a bit older. The muscle's taking a bit ha- uh, longer to recover. So roll on uh, May or December 2021, he went on holidays with my mom and another, um, or my sister, her husband. Dad was very um, off on that holiday. He loved Lanzarote. He spent, they went over for a month because he needed a break. He spent yeah. about five years looking after my uncle. Yeah. and um, they just, he, he spent three weeks in bed, like. So we think it was the start of what we're in going now. Yeah. That yeah. they thought he was depressed, all this. And we uh, they got him home anyway. I was shocked because when, op- when he opened the, the door, when I called up one day, I said, where's your colour? Normally dad really goes t- dark with a tan, like. And, I, and then they told me what happened. I was second. Anyway. So March, March 2022, did he go into the bonds? He went into the bonds for a checkup, and it turns out he had fluid on one of his lungs. So they drained that lung, and um, it refilled within a week, two weeks maybe. So he he got it drained twice within three week period, and obviously the lads tested it, the doctors tested it, couldn't find anything from the fluid in the lung. They said, "God, we don't know, we don't know what's." We're getting nothing from the fluid. Mm. So the next step then was the, that doctor in the bonds real, um, liaised with a doctor in the CUH that the doctor in the CUH would go into the lung and see what was going on. So the, the lung wasn't functioning as it should be. It was just filling with fluid. So it wasn't inflating the way it should be anymore. Mm. So that doctor, you know, and I, I attended the doctor's visits with my mother and my dad and um, he said, we'll get, we'll get answers here now off this doctor and the CUH. And when we went in, sat down, all upbeat and everything, he couldn't tell us either what it was. So he goes, there is spots. And, you know, I was there. The doctor was saying, I could see all these spots and I'm definitely going to get a reading off something. And he says, normally my cases are black and white. Your case is grey. And we were like, so obviously, so, and I'm, I'm not second guessing anybody, but you know, in conversations like that, do they ever ask? Wonder what did you do for a living all your life? I mean, your dad was forty, fifty yes. years painting and decorating. Going back to um, the fellow in the bonds, he because I, I was kind of the point of contact with all the doctors, so a lot of information was probably going over dad's head, mom's head, but I was trying to relay all the information then to my family, the rest of the family. But a phone call from that doctor one day said, um, was your dad ever around asbestos? Clever and I doctor. said, um, I had the discussion and I said, dad was a painter and decorator, but I said, I, I kind of knew what it was. And I said, I don't think he was ever exposed, you know, from long-term exposure or anything like that. So I think that doctor kind of... Well, play to that doctor, knew. he twigged that that could be 
the cause. And and it, it turned out to be the cause, right? He did. It turned he, out, but we never we never got from that day. It was never mentioned again. Okay. And did your dad then? I I don't listen. I'm, I I know that you have a, a sad story to tell. So forgive me if I'm rushing it. But did your dad go downhill rapidly then? Yeah. From from the day they poked him in the buns, that was it. He he couldn't sit up straight. Um, he couldn't walk very far. Um, as time went on, say the months went on, he was in and out of the bonds. Never stay, never was in the COH, but only for the procedure that I just spoke about. Um, as time went on, as the summer we got into the summer months, my God, like if I called to the house, he'd have his, he'd be only in his pajama pants. You'd have to have a fan in the room. He was sweating. No pain management helped him. No amount of pain meds he was on helped him. Um, as really July, August, we got into July and August, rapid weight loss. Um, he became opioid toxic then because of his rapid weight loss from the end of July to August. Um, he lost so much. He lost about 10 kg in a couple of weeks. Sure, he was a slight man. Like It must have been uh, shocking to observe his decline, was it? Yeah, and then poor mom. Mom was fantastic, obviously, you know, because it was only mom and dad at home. We're all kind of married with kids and stuff, but you know, um, you know, it was very sad. It was very sad for him because he goes, "Oh, your poor mom is watching me," and you know, and like I was taking all the information, and my own wife is a nurse, and we were able to. Like my sister was pregnant at the time, so we were trying to protect her, know. and so you know, you, I knew what was coming. So, did, or did you know that this was? Yeah. Not going to get better. No, but, it but, was, but yeah, nothing, I knew that. But nothing, yeah. March, April, May, June, nothing was diagnosed. No, no, okay. we still had nothing. We knew, um, we knew it kind of mirrored some sort of cancer. Yeah. Did, but, you were putting the term cancer on it, unknown, cancer unknown. Yes. And did your dad know that it was? Um, he never said it. He never said it. Um, the end of August and... And the thing is, like, you know, as in the end of August, in going to September, we were arguing, I had to ring up the bonds and I said, Dad is getting no relief from the pain management and he had so many biopsies. And I mean, I only had an MRI a few weeks ago myself on my shoulder and I brought my dad in to, to get an MRI in Fidia. I found it hard to stay still in there. I can't, I can't imagine. And I was inside the machine, I was thinking, oh my God, how did Dad stay still, still, still for him last year? You know, and um, he never got any kind of relief from any pain meds he was on. The rapid oh. weight loss then, obviously, be, uh, be, he became top, uh, opioid toxic. And then when he went back into the bonds, the nurses are fantastic. They're probably better than some of the doctors. They knew straight away that his weight wasn't matching with the tablets. You know, he wasn't being... Um, he was probably on too made too much meds for the weight loss he was after um okay, okay. declining. So it rolled on then from um we were swap, swapped over to another pain doctor in Cork and we went in to meet him and he kind of is affiliated with Mary Mount as well. And no oncology would touch dad because they didn't know what his what his disease was. Because clearly there was nobody looking for, even when the doctor said, was your dad a painter and decorator, did he ever mention the word asbestos? 
He did. Why wasn't there a test for asbestosis? Can't be tested in this country first. But could a, could a sample not be sent overseas for analysis? Three, three samples were sent over to England and on the third sample that came back should that passed away two days at that stage and they got the result then like. So your, your dad did go to Marymount? He ended up in Marymount only for this other pain doctor when we went in to see him yeah. he kind of saw him and I knew straight away when we left because I got a phone call off friend of mine and they said Mary Mount they're going to Gantra and we were dealing with Mary Mount team and even um, a palliative care nurse came out to the house and she said look I've sent all the stuff in the doctors will Gantra and she got back onto me then and said because oncology don't know what your dad has they can't deal with it they, they can't uh, medicate him properly until there was a diagnosis which is mad but until we saw this other doctor then mm. this other pain management doctor and from that day then, Dad was in, the next day we got a call from um, Mary Mount, would we come out and would, would I bring Dad out? So we went out and um, Dad couldn't, at this stage, oh, Dad couldn't even put him into a wheelchair. He'd have to lie down within seconds. He couldn't sit up. He, had to, he was lying on one side. He couldn't lie on the other side. Um, you couldn't even try to get him out of the car if you put your hand on his back. Oh, you know, he'd wince in pain. So we went out to Marymount and met the team, uh, a doctor and uh, one of the, the nurses. And we sat down, me, mom and dad, and um, had a chat. And I never saw dad cry. Something that you don't ever want to see. And because um, Marymount deal with um, all your mental state as well as, as your pain state. And they were asking him all these questions. And they were kind of... Um, they really pushed his boundaries, saying, oh, you're a lot sicker than, a lot longer than you're actually putting on. And he started crying, and he started nodding his head, and I was like, you know, what do you do? Like, you just, I, I could say nothing. I just put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, it's okay. So that was that day. Then the next day, he was actually admitted to Marymount. How do you feel about that? This was going to be home for him now, for whatever time. We never spoke about it um, because we were always trying to keep him upbeat. Um, and he said, when I get out now, and all he, all he wanted to do was go walking. That's all he wanted to do. He just wanted to go for when a walk. When I'm better, I want to go for a walk. Yeah, that's yeah. all. And we, we, left him, we left him like that, as in that's the way we, we, we all said it. And I, I did push the boundaries at, on a couple of occasions, saying to mom and dad, I said, you do know what's going on. Um, and they said, oh, yeah, I'm sick and that's it. Like, so I didn't, you know, because I, I kind of knew. When what did you want to do? Did you want an opportunity to say goodbye? Um, I never said goodbye to that. Like, uh, not that I'm upset with that. Um, I got the, like, te- like, he was in there for 10 days. And he, he went, he deteriorated the minute he went in. Yeah. You know, he was up and about, and it was great to see him. He got a lovely view out of, you know, he was only around the corner from Red FM, looking at the bypass. There was a circus he could see and all this. And I think he sat out in the recliner one day, and he didn't sit back out then. Like, But I got the phone call that night. Um, we weren't gone that long. I think he spoke to Mom on the Saturday night. And um, we were all after leaving. Now, look, we had... A, 10 fantastic days 
with the Marymount team, there is, my God, they're fantastic. Mm. They're absolutely fantastic. Even though Dad was very sick and Dad's not here anymore and we think about him every single day, my God, they were fantastic with him. Okay. I, Unbelievable. I'll come back to that in a second, but sadly he, he did pass peacefully with, he, with family. Yeah, we were um, and, we were all there. Yeah. Um, we I got the phone call at 10 past 4 on the 25th of September, Sunday morning, and I was up there um, I was up there and within 20 minutes, my wife followed on. My brother, older brother, was at home with mom and it was like, I rang him. I got in because I was the point of contact. I got in and dad was kind of gone past the stage of talking then. He was in the semi-post stage sitting up and, you know, he was kind of um, kind of rattling a small bit. And I think his eyes, his eyes were open when I got in. But when mom got in, about twenty odd minutes later, his eyes were kind of closed, but he was still there. And we were we bar one brother, we were all there till his um his last last breath. And as each one of us came in, he was just drifting off. Do you think um in his career he would have been exposed to asbestos because perhaps he did work on asbestos was commonly used in roofing, for instance, and things like that, and lots of other things. It was a miracle product way back in the day and it was easy to make yeah. and to mould that he would have gone into bis- buildings where they may have been stripping asbestos and that was part of his job then. Um, there was uh, there was a man at the, um, the funeral, mom would have known him now, and they spoke and sure, he, he found it hard to believe that, you know, but he did say, like, we were, we, like you just said, we were stripping rooms there, this and that. Yeah. But like there was, there might have been five of us in the room, and four still alive. And poor dad is gone. They couldn't believe it. Like, and I, I was going to say to a researcher a while ago, these fellas, like dad was very teetotal. He smoked years ago, but he's been off it for years. He'd have the odd drink. The other four fellas then might be smoking, whatever, and drinking whatever, and. You know, Dad would have been the healthiest one. Yeah, He's no. gone. Sure, straw. They, yeah. they could never tell how how much of exposure they got. So, how do you feel but, when you hear that there are people living in city council properties now that has uh, they're exposed to asbestos still in twenty twenty three? Jeez, it's shocking because, like, when I heard the kids there, because I'm I've three kids myself, like, and you know, it's somebody's neg negligible for this, as in. If they, if the, if the council know that this is going on, it's later in life where people are suffering, and you know mm. those poor families are look going to look back and say, and like a lot of the kids you you said have asthma and stuff. It's actually, it's frightening because there's a waiting list. Then if they want to go and get checked for whatever they have, they're hitting brick walls wherever they turn. It's actually shocking, like. Okay. It's, Shocking. And, you know, I I touched there and I didn't mean to pry. Some people are very private and they emotionally keep things to themselves. But um, would you have liked to, because I tried very hard with my own mother and she just wasn't comfortable near the end to to talk with me. I think the bond and the love was was too strong for her. She did with others. uh, And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way to anybody. but, But I would love to have had an opportunity to, you know, to ask her how she felt about things. Um, and just talk it through, because it's a natural thing. Passing and dying is, is oh, it, God, it would yeah. happen to um, all of us. Like, um, what I, 
I don't know what I wanted to push dad. I think he got he got very upset the two days I was there. Uh, I'm his youngest son, no, I'm the youngest sister, but I'm the youngest son. You know, I didn't get upset once any time around him. I didn't try and push him if he wanted to talk. I kind of took the the signals that you took his they didn't lead. want to talk yeah, about you it. Found what then, we, he was not comfortable and you didn't go there. I, I understand. No, I think... I think he was very, he was, when the two times he got upset, he, you know, uh, I think, he, you know, he didn't, uh, he was probably scared, 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 my God, scared out of his wits, what was to come, I'd say, just leaving mom, leaving, you know, leaving us, but he probably knows we're oh, okay, sure but his mom is the thing, like. Yeah. No, um, I, think, I think also, you have children yourself. Yeah, I have three kids, yeah. yeah. I mean, you imagine... I mean, I'm probably older than you, but the thing that would break my heart will be, yes, you know, leaving all of my family, leaving my wife. and But, you know, we'd be OK because we talk about these kind of things. But the thought of my leaving my son or my daughter, that would that that I'm sure would break my heart. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's like my fifth, my fifth. Well, he was 15 at the time. He came up to hospital and said, well, dad was past at that stage. Like they were very great. And he came up and that's what got me seeing my son so upset um, yeah it's it's just um, look the way I look at it we have a friend there a friend of my wife passed away a couple of months ago and he was half dad's age I know what you're saying yeah you know and I, know. I turned around and I said dad had such a great life such a great life and it's it's, it's terrible that he's gone but Oh my God! Would you know to see a younger person go the same way? I know, I it's know. terrible, and it's it's like they still hear it on the radio that Cork County Council are letting people live in these conditions is actually frightening. Yeah. it's actually frightening. What is going on? One apparently loads of money in the country, and they can't they can't fix these things. Seems as if the problem is too big for them. Listen, Mike, thank you so much. Not the easiest no story in the world to share, but I appreciate you talking. Thank you so much. Thank no bothers. Cheers for that. Best. Good luck to you and your lovely family. It's Cork City Council, incidentally, where residents and paying their rent are living with a lot of other things besides asbestos. Uh, but um, there's as rats and there's all sorts of other issues in the area. We'll, t- we'll come back to this. I'm not going to let this go. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.